Speaking tangentially. And speaking tangentially. Uh, I do have a the dumb arts. joke, uh, like a little saved line. When I go on like a little tangent in my act, I go like, that was a tangent. Won't you co-sign math jokes? Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, black comedians are math jokes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then, and then you like pause for five seconds for people to catch up, right? Yeah, exactly. Cosine. Some people are just tangent. like, tangent, cosine, wow. Like high school. What? There's something from high school. Something yeah. from high school. But I don't miss you half as much. As you make me think I was When I could see myself the way you do And I could almost see myself in you I could almost see myself in you This time I'm not coming back This time I'm not coming back from uh, slightly overcast Vancouver. Casilda and I drove up the coast from L.A., <clears throat> got here about a week, two weeks ago, something like that. And now we're staying in a place called Kitsilano, which is pretty amazing. If you've never been to Vancouver, you should really come check it out uh, sometime between May and October because uh, it's raining the rest of the time. But uh, unless you're into rain, in which case come anytime but uh, in the summer it's just amazing it's a really beautiful city uh air is clean water's clean everything's in bloom if you follow me on instagram you've seen some of the photos i've put up recently it's just you know you walk by these rhododendrons <laughs> i took a picture of a rhododendron sent it to my mom now we grew up i grew up in pennsylvania as did my mother and she said, that can't be a rhododendron. Rhododendrons are bushes. Well, not in Vancouver. Rhododendrons in Vancouver are trees. They're massive. They, you know, they've got rhododendrons the size of houses up here and just bursting and flower, reds and purples. And it's just incredible. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty amazing. We went um, the other day, walked down to the beach to, uh, to watch the sunset. And this will give you an insight into the difference between Canada and the U.S. We were in L.A. for the winter, living right next to Topanga State Park, beautiful park. But as you walk into the park, there are all these signs saying, no dogs, no dogs, forget it. Because the dogs chase the animals and, you know, shit all over the place and whatever. Now, in Canada, dogs are allowed on the beach. They just say, keep your dog. And they're allowed in parks. Keep your dog on a leash. And they sort of, you know, trust that people aren't going to just let their dogs shit all over the place or run free and attack people and whatever. There's this sort of assumption of civility in Canada that uh, doesn't exist in the States. Maybe it exists in small towns. Um, but even there, I think there's an oppositional relationship with the government that you don't find here or in a lot of European countries that I've lived in. There's a feeling of uh, we're all in this together. 
Whereas in the U.S., there's this feeling of like the cops are your enemies. The cops, you know, they've got a quota to fill with speeding tickets or they don't like you because you're black or they there's this sort of um, us versus them feeling that I think has become more pronounced in the U.S. And I'm just talking out of my ass here, but, you know, I've been visiting the u.s for years living in other places and so i've sort of seen it's like a time-lapse photography thing where you know or you when you visit you know your friends kids and every time you see them they're three years older and you, you can really see the changes you know that's sort of been my relationship with american culture so one of the the things i've really noticed is this oppositional feeling and i think the source of it is the fact that a lot of police were in the military. So you go to, you know, lots of people, the, the so-called volunteer military is the only way to really, you know, get out of a shitty situation without going way into debt and college loans and, you know, whatever. In your small town, there's no jobs. And so for a lot of people, it's like, well, you know, you go to jail or you join the, the military. And... um so a lot of people join the military and they get indoctrinated with this thing. You know, they're, they're overseas. They're, they're in a place where they're essentially doing policing, right? A lot of what's going on in Afghanistan and Iraq is policing, nation building, you know, in other words. And, uh, yeah, and they have reason to be afraid of the people they're policing. They have reason to develop an us versus them mentality. I'm not saying whether it's right or wrong or, you know... Certainly, uh, those are very complicated questions to look at ethically, but there's definitely um, a culture of the cops versus the civilians, and uh, it's something I've seen growing more and more intense in the United States over the years. And as I say, my I'm talking out of my ass, but my theory is that it's a very military it's it's the military indoctrination that's filtering back into U.S. culture because of uh, you know geopolitics of the last couple of decades. So that's uh, that's pretty intense, and you don't get that in Canada, and certainly in Spain. In Spain, cops are like normal people; they're just guys. You know, you can go over a couple cops standing there talking. You can walk over and say, hey, how you doing? Oh, hey, what's up? And, you know, is it cool if I park here? And I remember asking once if it was cool if I parked my motorcycle on the Ramblas in Barcelona and a bunch of cops standing there. And there were motorcycles, a big line of motorcycles parked there. But as a foreigner, you know, I like to sort of check things out because I'm never sure what's allowed, what's not allowed in Spain. And I go over to these cops. I say, hey, is it cool if I park the motorcycle here? And the cop said, well, no, but we'll usually overlook it. Thanks a lot. What does that tell me? You know, it tells me, yeah, we might give you a ticket or we might not. But that's Spain. Anyway, cops in Spain are pretty cool generally. And cops in Canada seem to be pretty cool too. And Canadians seem to be cool. We were down at this beach. Oh, the the whole thing I was talking about. So we go down to the, the beach to watch the sunset. And... Now, they've got a thing there where they say, okay, uh, yeah, dogs only on leashes, whatever. But... There's another beach just down the, the way a bit, the dog beach. So they say, okay, we don't want you to let your dogs run around on these beaches, but here's a beach over here where your dog's free to run around. 
take your dog down there. So we like to go to Dog Beach because, A, it's a nice place to see the sunset. you got this beautiful view of the city across the bay there. And there are all these dogs running around having a good time, you know, laughing the way dogs laugh and, and uh, playing with each other and jumping around and being all goofy. And people throwing, you know, tennis balls into the water and the dogs swimming way out there. It's beautiful. But anyway, that my point is that you know Topanga National Topanga State Park is no dogs. Period. You know, prohibited. There are always big signs everywhere with all these things that are prohibited in the U.S. In Canada, it's it's more like, hey, would you mind not doing that here? But you can do it right down there. You know, it's much more accommodating uh, approach to to building a society. Anyway. Oh, Canada. Got to love it. Today's Victoria Day as I, re- as I record this. I'm not sure what Victoria Day is celebrating, but um, everyone's off work, so good for them. All right, before we get into the podcast, uh, I want to thank my number one, one and only at this point, sponsor, which is Sure Design T-shirts. They are great. Go to SureDesignT-shirts.com. And you'll see some of the amazing styles. I'm looking at their website right now, which they've redesigned recently. The owner is Bennett. Very cool guy. And there's a... I should get Casilda one of these shirts, actually. Uh, It's not a shirt. It's a dress he's got uh, featured on the website right now. It's very, very cool design of a tree uh, above ground and, and the leaves spreading out. And then below ground, the root system, which is a... Uh, sort of a reflection of the branch system, which gives you this sense of the, uh, you know, the cycles of life and the interconnectedness of, of what's on the surface and what's underneath the surface. Very, very cool design. And they've got octopus and Buddha and all sorts of funky designs. And they design the, um, the Sex at Dawn t-shirts that you can order at chrisryanphd.com, my new site. We set up a store there. At the moment, we've only got uh, the one color, sort of a charcoal gray color. But it's got that very cool design by Levi Greenacres, who uh, you can also check out his site, levigreenacre.com. He's the design. He's a tattoo artist, graphic designer, photographer, painter, man of many, many hats. And... uh, the story is, I think I've told this story before, but if you look at the, um, the T-shirts at chrisryanphd.com, go to store and you'll see all the T-shirts there, various people modeling them. But this T-shirt design is really beautiful because the whole thing started with a picture that he sent us of a friend of his uh, lying naked in beautiful green grass reading our book. And then that photograph became the center of a... I think it's based on uh, the Tibetan tankas, which uh, you know normally feature Buddha in the center, and then all sorts of interesting stuff going on around it. And they paint them on silk, and then you know, they hang their wall hangings. Beautiful, beautiful stuff. So he he did this a painting in that design. Someone saw the the painting in a gallery, took a picture, sent it to me. I got in touch with Levi and. Lo and behold, uh, we worked out a deal where uh, he graciously allowed us to use his design on uh, these T-shirts. Uh, a couple bucks from every shirt we sell goes to Levi. And he's also got a a book out called, uh, I think it's called Mommy's New Tattoo or Mom's New Tattoo. You can find it at his site, levigreenacres.com. Um, very beautiful 
book. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Very unique. Nothing, you've never seen anything like it. It would make a great gift. Now, back to Shore Design t-shirts. If you go there and you order some t-shirts, be sure to use your discount code sex at dawn. One word, sex at dawn. You'll get 10% off your order. Uh, they're made in northern Thailand, one of the coolest places around. Chiang Mai. Had a great time in Chiang Mai years ago. Anyway, Chris Ryan, PhD, when you're there, you can go to the Tangentially Speaking page where you've got the archive of all the previous episodes of this podcast. You'll see there's a donate button where you can click there and drop some change on me if you uh, like the podcast and want to support it economically. Another way to support it economically would be to click through on the Amazon link you'll see there on the Tangentially Speaking page at chrisryan.com. And a percentage, I think it's 4% or something like that, of anything you spend at Amazon will go to us without increasing your cost at all. So that's just a way to throw some... Some support our way uh, if you use Amazon, and it doesn't increase your cost at all. It's just a cut out of Amazon. The other way you can support the podcast uh, in a less less, uh, tangible way, I guess, is if you rate and review it on iTunes. Uh, Apparently, high ratings and reviews do wonders for our algorithm. Somebody wrote to me and said I was saying logarithm, but it's really algorithm. Since I don't really know what either one of those two things is, they're sort of interchangeable for me. But I think I'll remember because I, I think algorithm, algorithm, that's it. Thank you to whomever told me about that. I forget who you were. Um, while I'm mentioning people, I'd like to mention uh, Kawika Chi, who made a, a very generous donation. He's the I hadn't even mentioned the the donate button on the web page, but. Uh, I got an email from PayPal saying, hey, somebody just sent you some money. I was like, what? what? What's going on? Anyway, very nice guy in Hawaii who um, supports the podcast. And, uh, yeah, we're talking to him about uh, maybe partnering up in some other projects as well. I also wanted to say hi, shout out to Adam Burley, who's heading off on uh, a long trip. He wrote to me and sort of told me about uh, what he was thinking. And we talked a little bit about some of the challenges and uh, joys of travel. He's going to be doing a, an interesting long trip, starting in Israel, headed up through Turkey, Eastern Europe, working his way to Berlin. So I'm sure he's going to have a great time. He might not hear this. He might already be on the road. But uh, if anyone knows Adam, give him a big kiss from us. What else can I tell you? I've been working on um, – I got commissioned by Playboy to write an article for them They asked me for a polemic, sort of a provocative piece about monogamy. They're doing a special edition, the A to to Z of sex. I guess now that I'm in Canada, I should call it the A to Z of sex. And they uh, they assigned me M for monogamy, so I wrote a little thing for them. Uh, I just did that over the weekend. So you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at ChrisRyanPhD, and the same thing on Instagram if you want to see any pictures of Big ass rhododendrons in Canada. And uh, I think that's about it. Now let's get into this. Oh, the other thing I should mention is I'm going to try to produce this podcast myself. So you might not notice some of the bells and whistles of, of earlier ones. Um, 
because, uh, yeah, diff- different people have been producing them for me, and it's just gotten to the point now where it makes more sense for me to do it myself. It's, you know, I'm, I'm it's not that complicated, I hope. <laughs> as soon as I finish recording this intro, I'm going to find out. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it just seems like, what the hell, I should just be doing it instead of, you know, asking somebody else to... to deal with all that kind of stuff, put this song here, take that quote there, move this around. It's, uh, come on, pain in the ass. So anyway, oh, geez, I think I just belched into the microphone. I'm sorry about that, ladies and gentlemen. Things are starting off wrong here. Okay, so listen, uh, I am going to sign off now, and you're going to hear an interview I did a few weeks ago with... Baron Vaughn, who's a comedian based in L.A., TV actor, very smart, funny, interesting guy. Uh, you know, it's it's very cool, this, this podcasting thing. You know, one of the things I really love about it is it gives me an excuse to just go hang out for a couple hours with somebody that I've never met, you know, so... Baron and I knew some people in common, I guess. And somebody said, oh, you should talk to Baron for your podcast. And I sent him an email. He's like, sure, come on over, whatever. So, you know, I find myself sitting in this guy's living room. Never met him before. But, you know, here I am in his house. And we're going to, you know, talk about really sort of personal stuff for a couple hours or an hour, hour and a half, whatever it was. Um, that's cool. That's that's a really privileged place to be. And uh, I'm very thankful to Baron and, and all my other guests for opening their homes and their hearts and their spirits and their lives the way they do. So I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. And uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thanks. Trying to meet an expectation. Wondering what they're going to say. Sound check. I think mine's good. You want to check yours? Check, check, check. Said checkity check. That's me. I'm checking when I check. I've got three fans, so I got to take care of them. I've got you know? two, and one's my mom. So <laughs> exactly, <laughs> got to be careful. I the other one's my mom. mirror image. <laughs> not really. I think my mom listens to this podcast, Does she? which I try not to think about. You know, because it is a little inhibiting. It is, and. My mother recently revealed to me that she listens to my podcast. Really? And there there are certain things I have to say about her husband. Oh. Uh, my stepfather. Who's white. Who yeah. is a white gentleman. And you argue about slavery. I, we I, argue. I, I boned up on you, buddy. Oh, yeah? I boned you? up on you. <laughs> what, did you what did you look up? I, I just read your, or I, I watched some of your videos on oh. your website last Did you night. enjoy them? I did. Oh. Immensely. Thank I mean, God. The, the, the hip-hop tax write-off oh, thing yeah, yeah. killed me. I was dying. Yeah, that was really funny. It sort of reminded me of uh, the thing on Chappelle, the Wu-Tang accounting service. Did you ever see that? Oh. They, they had, he actually had some of the dudes from Wu-Tang Yeah, it was plan. probably the RZA and the Jizza. And they, yeah, and they, and they were like, and, and they had this like, you know, middle class white couple in. And it's like, you got to diversify, bitch. Yes, I remember that. <laughs> I do remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was really funny. Chappelle show was fantastic. Have you seen Key and Peele? Uh, yeah, I've seen a few of those. Yeah, you gotta watch that yeah, show. They're man. very good. It is, it, very they good. they are incredible yeah. and intelligent. And like Chappelle's show, I think took 
quote unquote black sketch to the next level. Yeah. I think that Key and Peele are taking it yeah, to the next, they're next great. level. And they're really good together. It's nice to have that that dynamic. The chemistry yeah. and like the familiarity. They've known each other yeah. for so long. Yeah, definitely. And they're on I think they're on either right before or right after Tosh point They've got um, or they used to be. I don't know. Yeah, I, I think that they've 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 probably earned enough of their own fan base that they don't necessarily need the lead in uh, good. of Tosh, but I am unfamiliar right now with the programming of Comedy Central scripted programs. I. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Comedy Central. <laughs> so what are you, you're on a show. What's the show? It was. Oh, you were. Okay. Past tense. Past tense. It was called Fairly Legal. Fairly Legal. Yes, it was Sounds on... like a porn site to me. Well, it is a... It is a With uh... like really white girls. <laughs> Fairly Legal. That's true. Yeah. It is a rip All on blonde. Barely Legal, Yeah. which is the number one mistake people make when they go like, what's oh, that show you're on Barely Legal? It's only, <laughs> it's only ever men. And I'm like, now I know your internet history. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah, it was called Fairly Legal. It was on for Two, two seasons uh, on the USA Network, Characters Welcome, uh, which now when I say I don't make a nickel. Um, but it was an interesting process because we had actually talked about doing a little television talk here. Right, I have yeah. a lot of theories about TV that, right. that um, people are afraid for me to talk about. Uh, that's not necessarily true. I had I, I told a friend of mine that I wanted to start like a, a podcast about TV shows because right. there's so many podcasts about movies, uh. but arguably in the last decade – People talk about TV more than they're talking about movies. Yeah. I feel like I hear conversations about Breaking Bad and right. Game of Thrones and you know Walking Dead and the all these Wire. The Wire and all these Fucking crazy, all these great because because my theory is the last decade of television, creative people, writers, directors, producers, mm. uh, actors um, think that that's the that, that this last ten years has been like. The heyday of television. The golden age The golden of television. age. Yeah. Because there's yeah. so many shows that are expanding what TV can be in a, in a storytelling sense. Yep. And, you, and it goes all the way from Breaking Bad to Doomsday Preppers. Right. Like even reality shows are you, – you can't say that Jersey Shore is not a cultural phenomenon. Right. It, it is. Mm. I don't watch it. Right. But it has expanded what reality television can be. Right. And the fact that we've heard of it. Neither one of us. I've never seen an episode. Never seen it. I know what you're talking about. You know what yeah. it is? You know who yeah. Honey Boo Boo is? Yeah, I do. I don't I even wish know I what did, that is. It's a it's a little yeah. girl, right? I think a fat little. I know nothing about girl. her. Yeah, but I know that she has a show. Yeah. <laughs> and you hear "Honey Boo Boo," and you're like, "That's someone's name, right?" So that's on a birth certificate. You're telling me. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, I've I've been living in Spain for 20 years, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I just came to North America again. You know, long term. Welcome I, back. Thank you. I was in Vancouver for the summer, and then right. came down here in November, December. So I've been here a couple of months. You know, I'm from from the states, but right. Uh, which explains my excellent accent. Great. It's, it's great. It sounds just it's like an American. Really, really good. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, no surries yet. Oh, I'm sorry. 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 Yeah. What's that? It's Canadian. That's Canadian for sorry. Yeah. And, and out, out, and about. Some people do. I have heard out people say that. And the A's. I, my, my TV show actually, the, the recently canceled Fairly Legal, shot in Vancouver. Oh, right. So I lived there for like 11 months cumulatively. Okay. So you know it. Yeah. yeah. Really yeah. well. Uh, anyway, what the hell was I talking about? Uh, you were talking about being in the States and just, I, I guess. Oh, oh, yeah. Like these phenomena of things you don't watch, you're not uh, immediately aware of, but it's so much in the ether that it even leaks over to Spain where there's no fucking honey boo boo on Spanish TV. I right, guarantee right. you. I don't know how you'd say honey boo boo in Spanish, but. Probably just honey boo boo. <laughs> <laughs> Miel de boo boo. Uh, <laughs> It's funny, like the Flintstones and shit. That's there are Flintstones and the, the Simpsons and all yeah. that stuff is Los Simpson. It's all on Spanish TV, right? Right. Um, but like Kim Kardashian, 
who the fuck is Kim? I know she's like hot and she, pregnant at this point, but why do we know who she is? Well, the, and that's the other phenomenon, right? Famous for being famous. Right. Is that all it is? And her father like defended OJ or something? Her father is Bruce. Her stepfather is Bruce Jenner. Oh, really? The the and the, look the Catholite. Yes, and look, I'm also n- badly putting things together because I'm like, <laughs> I've, again, that's a show I've never seen. Uh-huh. So there's bits and pieces. Right. I think her stepfather is Bruce Jenner, uh-huh. and I think yes, her father was one of OJ's lawyers. Right, her birth father, and she's Persian and hot. She's and she's uh, no Armenian. Oh, she's Armenian. Yes. Okay. And there's a bunch of them. The Kardashians that we had to keep up with. That oh. was the name of their keep up with the keeping, oh, they had a show? keeping up with the Kardashians. Yeah. Oh, oh okay. They had a reality show that became right. a gigantic hit. There you go. And that's how she thus proving your point. Thus proving yeah. my point. Exactly. But get, but getting back to your main point, which is about quality. There's yes. a lot of shit out there. Shit. But there's also some TV that is so much better than the crap I grew up with. Well, there's so much of it. Yeah, it's it's the the outlets, right? It's all the cable internet. It's what internet's doing to, to quality well, you programming. Know, I've always made comparisons to I went to London in 2002 the beginning of 2002 for semester abroad when I was in college right. we went over there to study Shakespeare uh, and I took a class on British television and it was fascinating because it was all about the BBC and how they, basically the history of British television as a direct response to the history of American television oh really that mm. We were capitalists. Right. So when when television was proliferated for the first time, people were – before we had any regulations, people were, were, were broadcasting on the same frequencies, right. on the same channel, just trying to be stronger and knock the other people out until we passed some sanctions and says, no, we have to do it where one channel is one channel everywhere. But the British saw the, what we were doing, and they were like, okay, well, television is this big thing. That can unify the country. So they created the BBC, which is a government organization, to basically to not be completely (laughs) profit driven and to be like TV is a giant tool that can unify the country that we can get information out, which is why the BBC BBC News is. You know, mo is unbiased information, yeah. and why there's such a trusted still to this day news news source around the world for the child sexual abuse except for that man but otherwise aside from that minor hey catholicism still around god still loves us i'm saying (laughs) you forgive and you forget exactly and you you, can we just move on yeah yeah, that that's something that pisses me off so much with politicians you know or george bush like okay yeah i sank the country you know spent all the money killed lots of people over it but let's talk about the future yeah Yeah, this is obama's fault um (laughs) How come he hasn't fixed it? Um, Exactly. So the point is, though, is that the structure of BBC is that, like, you know, and it happened differently where there were channels that you paid for and they had advertising because the BBC had no advertising because you paid a television tax, a licensing fee. Oh, really? You paid a fee to own a television to get broadcasting. And all that goes Uh, to the BBC. uh, That goes into their coffers. So ostensibly, the BBC is the Hollywood of England. And they can produce all these great shows and movies. Right. Now, I think HBO and Showtime have aped that model because the subscription fee, that's their budget. They don't have to buy ads, which is why they don't have to worry about uh, the demographics and the numbers, and they can take gigantic risks with their programming, and it pays off. 
I had, then the British also used the radio as a farm league, if mm-hmm. you will. Like people talk about uh, Ricky Gervais and Stephen Merchant. Mm-hmm. They were on the radio for a really long time before they made a TV show. Really? And so mm-hmm. the internet, YouTube especially, has become the de facto means of that in the American yeah. system. Is that that is where we're farming all this new talent for. People are trying to, you know, they're experimenting and learning how to use cameras and write and act on the Internet. Then they get these big followings. People watch them develop and get these followings. Boom. Now you got a TV show. Yeah. Yeah, because you've already got an audience. Exactly. I mean, it's like that's what publishing is like, too. You know, you try to you go pitch a book. The one thing they want to see is what's your platform? You know, how are you going to sell this book? It used to be they sold the damn book. Right, now right, right. you're going to sell the book because you've already got, you know, 40,000 Twitter followers and, you know, whatever it is. That's what they want to see mm. before they're going to invest in your book. It's, it's an interesting change. Yeah. Who would have thought that, like, now you in a meeting you have to bring up how many people are following you on Twitter? Oh, that's what they want. It's <laughs> in your like... book proposal. Before the meeting. Before they'll even take a meeting, that's what they want to see. Yeah. Wow. What's, what's your social media presence and all that kind of stuff? Yeah. And you're, the, you're podcasting. Uh, that's why I'm here, man. You're, twitting, I'm... you're Twittering and you're podcasting. <laughs> and the funny thing is, like, none of these things make any money, but they all – it's all like – you can leverage this into that. And then, you know, down the road, that might make money, you know, but it's like none of the individual steps you're taking actually makes any damn money. It's but, all planting seeds in different gardens yeah, and making yeah. sure that they're all Sounds growing. like a bunch of bullshit. It, you know? it, well, it is a bunch of bullshit. <laughs> it's a game of bullshit. It's a game of bullshit. <laughs> anyway, back to HBO yes. and AMC and quality program. I, my wife and I, Casilda and I, don't have a TV, but mm-hmm. we like do the Netflix thing on the computer or whatever. So we'll do we gorge ourselves in mm. the show like we watched all every episode of breaking bad mm-hmm. in about three weeks you know that up is, till three in the morning every night i did that with the wire and Battlestar galactic oh the wire yeah the wire. well speaking of the wire and breaking bad and game of thrones i read a thing yesterday very interesting comparing those three shows and talking about this golden age of television mm-hmm. and what they said was that what's happened is you used to make a TV show from a novel. So you'd find a really good novel. You make a TV show based on that novel. Okay. And now what's happening is they're making TV show. They're novelizing TV shows. Mm. So it's like The Wire. The mm-hmm. Wire is, you know, Shakespearean. It's, it's, it's a novel. It's a, like a Dick, Dickinsonian, if that's the right word. It's an epic world. Yes. Yeah. And, and from the beginning, you've got the narrative arc because in the case of The Wire, they said, okay, it's going to be five seasons. Season one, the drug guy. Season two, the dock worker. Season three. And they City Hall. Like, that's what we're going to yeah. do. Yeah. You know, beginning to end. So I think that's another interesting change in TV now. And it's the same thing with Breaking Bad. They're mm-hmm. about to end that, right? So from the beginning, you say this, it's a, it's a discrete entity. It's not going to go until, you know, we're going to squeeze it until exactly. there's nothing left. Yeah. Well, and I think that that, again, that's another thing that we're aping from the Brits. Oh, is right. because we talk about a show that has seasons, but they have a they talk. They call it series. You right. know, it's like, oh, The Office series one, because a, The Office was only on for two yeah. series. Yeah. And it's like it's just part of their culture that you move on from that story once you're disinterested in it. Right. Here it's just like, if it's getting good ratings, we want it on for 15 <laughs> years. Yeah. Can you give us a show that will be on forever? Yeah. And then spinoffs. Yeah. Spin- Rhoda. Joey. And Golden Hotel. Do you remember Golden Hotel? Yeah, it was a spinoff from the Golden Girls. Oh, God. Where they started no, a hotel no. and Don Cheadle was in it. Oh. Yeah. 
Now, did Don Cheadle, is he the guy who's in prison for tax evasion? No. No, you're thinking Wesley of Snipes. Wesley Snipes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Don Cheadle is on the show called uh, House of Lies now, which is a Showtime show. He's a fantastic actor. He's a great, Hotel oh, he Rwanda. was in the Hotel Rwanda. Yes, exactly. He was in Traffic as well. He was oh, in Traffic. What a movie. Don Cheadle, he's probably one of, my, one of my favorite actors. He's yeah. great, yeah. Tra- Traffic's one of the best movies. Oh, you Benic- like Traffic. I love that movie. Benicio del Toro. Benicio is just a, toward the Oh, you know force. what I'm thinking of is, uh, is Crash, which was kind of like... The spiritual oh, sequel. Oh, the L.A. thing. Yeah, to Traffic. I, I won an Oscar, right? I want to say it was the same writer, because I think it was Paul Haggis. It could have been. This is the kind Steven of Soderbergh was the director Soderbergh of directed Traffic. Yeah. The Crash, but it was written by Paul Haggis, oh, I okay. think. Right. I'm sorry if I'm wrong. World, who's listening? Uh, <laughs> we could pause and we look it pause up on the internet. And then, oh, we're smart. My yeah, phone is so smart. anything. Uh <laughs> Well, it's one of those things. Yeah. So anyway, but you were saying them. Yeah. I don't know what the hell I was saying. You're just By saying way, that you get the you, name you, of this go, podcast. You binge on the, the novels and the TV. Oh, yeah. 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 And which is a cool way to do it, you know, because yeah. you don't have to wait a week for the next damn episode and rumor. And who the hell are all these people? And why, why is she pissed <laughs> off at him? And what? Yeah. But shows like Breaking Bad and mm. Games, of Thro- Games of Thrones, Game of Thrones, yeah. uh, Walking Dead, um, that are episodic in a way, but they all tie together. Yeah. And that's why I keep hearing people talking about the phenomenon of water cooler talk is back. Right. That it used to be you'd watch this show, then at work you'd be around the water cooler talking about what happened on that show. People are doing that Mm. again with some of these shows. So what do you think about the House of Cards phenomenon where they just put it all up at once? Um, Well, people – it's capitalizing on what you were just talking about is that all these – Netflix – Probably a lot of their sh- a lot of stuff that people are watching are these TV shows, especially when they've heard of it and they're like, "Oh, it's all there." Right. So people are binging on yeah. these shows. So for them, they're like, "Okay, we see that we see that pattern. Let's put up a whole show at the same time yeah, because no one's going to just jump in and watch episode four. So it's encouraging binge binge watching. Binge watching. Oh, so that might be the commercial angle because otherwise I couldn't figure out what what's the commercial viability. And just putting it all up there right away. Yeah, I mean, um, there's probably like a big model of it because it's it's a different business plan than what I mean. That's that's why things like the writer strike happened because the people who make television, the the suits, if right. you will, are loath to give up the business plan that's been working for them for twenty years. Damn, it's just like publishing, dude. I, I sent in the manuscript for Sex at Dawn, you know, a word file, mm-hmm. email. A month later, I got back. A stack of single uh, printed papers okay. with edits in pencil. It's like, what is this, 1962? Wow. Yeah, yeah. You know, and great editor. I love the guy, but like, it's so old school. And they're proud, you know. They probably have pencil sharpener on the side of the desk, you know. It's like <laughs> the grinding thing. Yeah. yeah. And a big eraser. <laughs> a big, a big a custom-made eraser. This number is my, two. I only Snoopy. number two pencils. <laughs> it's a Snoopy eraser because Charles Schultz is an American treasure. <laughs> it's like that. It's it's like, God damn it, we're going to, you know, I'll ride huh. a horse till I'm dead, you know. Interesting. Like, well, all right. Well, when that's the thing, is it like these things are inevitable, like the way that Everything is changing. I see them as a system of inevitabilities, yeah. but people are but in, in any situation where things are changing in a big way, there's always going to be a gigantic group of people right. that are like, no, but we were making money off of right. this. <laughs> we have to go back to the old we days. Have to do, oh, we got to take our country back. 
<laughs> to when we were making the shitload of money. <laughs> Take it back. I love that. Take it back. Take it back from what? The present. From who to where <laughs> from where? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, and that's what Obama is in a lot of ways. It's not just the ideology of change. I'm going to change. He, he, he literally is walking change. Yeah. He, he's the black president. Yeah. The half black. Some people, yeah. I always feel like white, my white friends are like, oh, uh, point of order. <laughs> point of order. He's half black. Oh, you want to take that from me too? <laughs> uh, yeah. But, but it is relevant. You know, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's strange how, you know, if you've got any, if you look black, you're black. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, doesn't the one matter. Drop, the one drop rule. Yeah, the one drop rule. Give me a break. Yeah, but that's the thing. Is like the racial makeup of this country has changed so significantly that one is running it. Yeah, <laughs> one of them is <laughs> one of them. Or half. I've got a friend from Congo. Mm-hmm. She grew up in. Her father's from. Her family's from Congo, and she moved to Paris when she was a, a little girl, and now she lives in New Hampshire. Right, mm. and she she's like ultra shock. Yeah, yeah, and she's like. And she's married to my best buddy, and he's, like, white. He's, I often say, like, he's so white, he's kind of blue, because he's, like, Russian <laughs> white, you know? Oh, okay. And she's so black, she's kind of blue. Okay. That, that Congo. Black. Yeah. But, yeah. And their kids are, like, Tiger Woods beautiful, every one of them. They're just <laughs> these gorgeous kids. Okay. But anyway, she, she kind of gets pissed off sometimes with the black identity thing. Mm-hmm. You know, the African-Americans. Like, what the fuck African-Americans? I'm from Africa. You've never been to Africa. You know, like, she, or she'll be, like, included in some sort of black political conversation. Like, you know what we're talking about. And she's like, I have no idea what you're talking this is, about. Yeah. These aren't, these aren't my politics. Right. The color doesn't tell you who someone is, you know. It's, well, that's also the other thing is is black people. Or, or when we're in different countries and that we're – people in this country have been so trained of African-American yeah. political correctness right. that we could be in Nigeria and be like, oh, look at that group of African-Americans. This is Nigeria. <laughs> They're not African-Americans. They're just African. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. You, you could even say the Nigerians. <laughs> Oh man, I, I had a job. Literally, I, this is you know actually true. I had a job where I was paid to translate from Ebonics to English. Yeah. This Wait was, a minute. What? <laughs> I know. And I put this on. I, I tweeted about this recently, and somebody tweeted back and said, "Do you realize that it's um, uh, insulting that you use the word ebonics?" I was like, "No, I didn't realize it. I mean, I thought it was. My understanding is it was a term invented by black linguists in Berkeley to talk about." the differences between sort of street vernacular, you right, know, whatever, right. and the standard English right. to give some dignity to it as a as a separate... To recognize it in a way as right. a language. Yeah, but, you know, who knows? While I wasn't paying attention, it became an insult. Yeah, I don't get it, but it anyway. Did. <laughs> it did? It did? Really? Yeah, I mean, it, it's one of those things where it's just kind of like... Um, well, that's the thing. I didn't know that it. I didn't know if it was invented by black linguists. That's yeah. In Oakland, Berkeley, that's because I just yeah. it was a term that I had started to hear. I remember right. hearing it, and I think it just changed into um, a signifier of you saying or people who use ebonics saying you guys are different though. Right. It's like you you guys use ebonics though. <laughs> it just became a right. joke. Right. It became a joke term, and yeah. then to some people, it's very it's very insulting. Just yeah. like some people are are insulted by are insulted by black or African American. Yeah, but I mean, this is the thing. It's like 
again, having lived in Spain, like I'm, I don't participate in all this stuff. So I come mm-hmm. back and it's like, everyone's so fucking sensitive over here. We're sensitive motherfuckers. You know, like the <laughs> sexual thing, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. like I'm used to, I, you live in Spain, you, a beautiful woman walks by, you don't pretend you're not looking. Why would you, you right, know? Right. It, and she's getting energized by it. She loves. It. I mean, you don't have to be. You know, you're not insulting her. Right, you're not. You know, chasing after her you know, with your whatever. pants down. Exactly. Not often, but <laughs> but I mean, you know, that sort of attraction, it open admiration is it's cool in Spain. There's no problem. You come over here. You're a fucking rapist, man. You got to be careful how you look at people. Where we we got that shame. Yeah, there's a lot of shame. Do you know Duncan Trussell? I know Duncan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Duncan. When I was doing a podcast with Duncan once, and he introduced me as a shame exorcist. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's going on my business card. That is good. Yeah, (laughs) that's me. I got to get a little podcaster shame exorcist that's on my new that's funny that on my new website which hasn't gone live yet so i know you haven't seen it it says christopher ryan author podcaster shame exorcist beautiful dude it's musical it works yeah it's got rhythm it's uh yeah i mean like um i mean i'm an i'm a fan i do listen to this podcast oh wow thank you um as i've said reading the book does your mother uh no oh (laughs) (laughs) it's a festival of dangerous ideas right um she she doesn't listen. She listens to a podcast, which is mine, uh, um, yeah. which she told me, which I'm like, Ooh, how, how much? What have you listened to? Um, but also, uh, I've read the book and I've and I've listened to a lot of, of your other um, heard interviews. Duncan, I've heard you yeah. on Duncan yeah. on on Ari Shafir. Uh, on the skeptic tank, so it's like I've heard a lot of the different. So you heard my shtick. You bored heard, already. I've it's... heard your shtick. <laughs> I'm on Cotango. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm do- oh, you're gonna you're gonna lay that stuff out. I'm huh? doing it up. <laughs> it's uh, and it's an interesting thing because I was just telling you before we started the podcast, um, Mr. Ryan Murphy, creator of Glee, Nip Tuck, American Horror Story, is pitching a show about open relationships right now right which means full circle baby yeah it's it's there lisa ling's doing documentary series yeah yeah I saw um that. showtime had the poly series they're renewing it another so, season another season it's 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 on the tips of tongues and yeah. to the extent like a friend of mine texted me this uh, article uh it was titled why i no longer can no why i no longer consider myself poly that was it right. like so you know that it's it's becoming established <laughs> when the people who are disillusioned with right. it, there's post poly. The, there's post poly. <laughs> people are becoming uh, disillusioned with what it what it is, uh, and I hate the the word. The word I used to like it, yeah. And now I'm just like I can't use that word anymore. Yeah. Uh, but it's better than non monogamy. Yeah. Uh, do you know Bill Hicks? Sure, I love Bill Hicks. Bill Hicks used to have that joke about non smoker. The term non smoker. He's like, it's just so weird to define yourself by something you don't do. <laughs> Yeah. And then present yourself as superior to those yeah. who are just like, I'm a non-baby kicker. <laughs> you live your life the way I the, the way I live it, though? I don't kick babies. Yeah. I don't believe in it. Yeah. That's why I identify. That's just how I roll, yeah. So it's weird to say I'm a non-monogamist <laughs> or, oh, or stuff like that. But it's like, uh, yeah, so it's like it's, it's, it's on the tips of like, and now I'm seeing that like. I'm what, non-gay. Non-gay? Yeah. I'm non-gay too? Yeah. Yeah. Um, for now, who knows? <laughs> who knows what's going to happen That's in right. the future? That's right. Uh, so it's just like it's on the tip. Like I feel like when I talk about it now, and I'm trying to figure out ways to talk about it on stage. Yeah. Uh, in my stand-up, it's hard because it's like a lot of stand-up is like here's something you can relate to. 
A lot of people can't relate to it. <laughs> exactly. Here's something you can't relate. You, they can't. Let and, me and, tell you, I just did a talk at TED. Oh, yeah, yeah. I heard about that. I can't wait to see that. Yeah, well, I can't either. I want to see how they edit it. <laughs> I want to see Ooh. if they post it is Ooh. what I really want to see. Really? Yeah, because, I mean, talk about. Well, they asked me to cut a lot of shit out, and I'm glad they did, because mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. going in there with my usual, hey, you know, like, we're all sex positive here, and no, no, they're not. We have money. I even, a, a lot, I keep these legs spots. crossed at all times. Dude, I made a joke. The first, as a comedian, you'll appreciate this. Okay. My first thing out, out the gate was a joke that I meant to be sort of um, self-effacing, and they took, I think, as an insult. So it didn't start particularly well. The first, the first thing I said was, it's so great to be on stage at TED. This is a dream come true. Mm-hmm. In fact, the only thing that could possibly be better than this would be to have so much success and money that I could afford to be in the audience with you. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> I think it's pretty funny. And I tested it out twice at, at talks I'd given in other places, and, yeah. and everybody laughed their asses. Like I said, this is how I'm going to start my TED thing. Everybody laughed their asses off. I did it at TED. It was like pin drop. There, well, you know, a lot of those – I don't know if you know this about the chairs, the seating at TED, uh, but all of them come equipped with sticks. <laughs> so that way the moment you sit down, there's instantly the a stick up your ass. <laughs> That's funny. For 7500 bucks, you get a stick. You get a stick <laughs> up your ass. It's a highly polished mahogany stick. <laughs> Yeah. It's Imported. a great stick. It's a, Trust us. Don't get us wrong. This was made in this was made in a great place. You're gonna love this the stick. stick capital of the world. <laughs> Hit the sticks. Oh, All right. Shit. So I just I'll just go on. Um, <laughs> but I'm just saying that like yeah. it's a it's so a how thing. Are you gonna do that when I'm talking about it now. More and more people are like, oh yeah, I know my brother or, or my my so and so is in an open marriage. My ex husband. My ex husband. He's in open marriage. He's in open marriage. A lot Tears. of laughter there. Yeah. I I haven't talked about it yet because, and and this is interesting too because one of my favorite uh, episodes of your podcast um, is the one with Neil Strauss. The first one, yeah. Well, it wasn't yeah. the first one you posted, was it? I think it was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. And, well, maybe I've listened. And one to of them. the first ones I recorded. So I was. I he. Within a minute, he had me he talking had about I know. my mother. I it's like, it. and you're like, wait a minute, what's, <laughs> what's happening? But Neil, but it's interesting because I thought it was interesting that by the time you had done the podcast, how much of the game had you had, had you written uh, uh, none, read? None. Okay, so and you you both brought attention to this that you get a lot of criticism on your book. Usually by people who have not read it, right? But are sure they know what it's about and what it means, right? But you brought that energy to Neil Strauss, and he called me on, and it. he called you on it, <laughs> and that's why that's probably yeah. why I didn't listen to it at first because I'm like, oh, the guy that wrote that book about how to trick women, yeah. And I, but the more I heard about it, and especially from the podcast, I'm like, oh, this is not what I look. What I just did the thing that people do to me, yeah. I cannot believe so. When I've talked about poly or open relationships or my philosophies, et cetera, et cetera, I get a lot of – I've gotten a lot of anger, right? righteous indignation right. from – especially not even just from strangers but people who I know yeah. that I'm constantly surprised the vitriol that is suddenly on fire just like, no, you're wrong and here's why. It's like, whoa, I've known you for four years. Yeah. Why are you upset with me all of a sudden? Yeah. Uh, you know I'm not an ass because right. we've had a friendship We've 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 broken bread. Yeah. We have jogged in the park, et cetera, et cetera. And suddenly it's like you are a threat to me. It's like, yeah. whoa. So I've gotten enough of that that 
when I think about the stand-up of what I want to do and how I want to talk about it, yeah. I'm so preoccupied with trying to dismantle all the all the counter arguments before I say anything. So I'm I'm starting in a negative a negative place. You're right, and it's like. I'm already I'm already thinking like okay people are going to disagree with this and disagree with that and they're going to be like that and I have to undo all these but instead I'm trying to figure out the way to because it's stand up it's not science and a lot of people are there on a date right probably people are there, one of their first well dates. especially in the, in the club yeah uh, like in a comedy club but like underground shows in New, in L A it's a very different thing uh. but when I'm on the road yeah definitely people are like they're on dates you know it it might be a first date it might be a married couple. Who's just like, let's have a date night. We're yeah. going to a comedy club. We're going to let's get babysitters. <laughs> sorry. Let's put some fire back in our sex life. You gotta activities. <laughs> it's the key to longevity. <laughs> That's right. You gotta have something to talk about outside yeah. of everything. Oh, you give him something to talk about. Oh I'm, man. I'm like Bonnie Raitt up there. <laughs> um, is that who sings that song? I think so, yeah. Okay. So, so but do you like making people uncomfortable as a comedian? I mean, like an Andy Kaufman kind of vibe? Do you ever do you ever do that intentionally? No. Because a lot of people – okay, stand-up is such an f- interesting form, especially now because we have, a sh- we have a channel called Comedy Central that just shows stand-up. So it's like people are more aware of stand-up, I think, than they've ever been. Right. And so aware to the, fa- to the point that everyone has preconceived notions of what they think stand-up is going to be. So I'm constantly fighting against that, especially as a black comedian, that I don't talk about things in a style that a black comedian usually – talks about things and right. i don't talk about the things that black comedians usually talk about yeah. so some people feel refreshed by it and like oh you're different than what i was expecting and some people are like no 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 you're supposed to be this thing right that Where, i know the eddie murphy you're supposed yeah. to be this thing that i've seen right right you're supposed to be this this guy and because they had this expectation of no stand up supposed to be these three things and you're not doing that so technically you're not doing stand up it's like no yeah. i am i've been doing this for 11 years and know what the hell i'm doing right so i'm constantly fighting against that yeah and i feel like to to so i've never and people always go like oh i'm going to sit in the front don't make fun of me it's just like it's not 1982 <laughs> I'm not Don Rickles i'm not Don Rickles <laughs> i'm not Kennison i'm not going to like i only make fun of people in a show, at a show, yeah. if they deserve it, if they've done something unforgivably disruptive, yeah. then I will lay into them. Right. But I never go on stage being like, I'm just going to, because some comedians, but some comedians do. Yeah. And God bless them. If they're good at it, they're, they can insult people. They can riff like that. I don't like people f- making them feel uncomfortable. Um, I mean, it, that's different because Andy Kaufman is playing with their emotions, but he's not specifically like laying into someone. He's not trying to make people feel bad. Yeah, no, I don't mean I don't mean individually so much as just like the the content of what you're saying. I mm-hmm. mean, you know, look at the great you know, George Carlin. He, right, he right, said right. a lot of shit, especially toward the end of his life. Yes, you know, that people uh, were like that last show was like, holy shit, that dude's pissed off. <laughs> Yeah, you know, and he's right. That, that whole thing, like you know, you think you're in the club, you're not in the fucking club. You know, you you people, you know, you're, if you're here with me, you're not in the club. Exactly, you know? exactly, exactly. I mean, he really that was. And people he's were great. And and I and I remember seeing like and a lot of Bill the, Hicks did that shit too. The right? critiques I mean, of like the last two Carlin specials where people were like he's a cranky old man now. Yeah. It's like no, he's. He's always been that guy. Yeah, he was a cranky he's young just man, got more a cranky experience. middle-aged exactly. man. <laughs> he's just older than you, yeah. so he knows more shit. And he doesn't give a fuck. 
Which is a beautiful thing and in, that's the a, in any thing. sort of artist. And that's my problem. I'm giving too much of a fuck. <laughs> that gets us back to this, right? I'm giving too yeah. much of a fuck yeah. about like, look, I, want, I do want people to have a good time. Sure. Especially if, they, if they, they paid money, they took time out of their lives. Especially yeah. on the road where I'm just like, and, and a lot of comedians condescend to um, the audiences on when you're touring around. And I feel like these are the people who need this the most. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, like they've had a hard day. They've been working all day. They live in fucking Topeka. They man. live in Topeka. <laughs> <laughs> it's 8 p.m. on a Friday. I want to laugh. Yeah. So, no, I'm not going to do uh, a hacky act. Right. I'm not going to pander. Right. But I do want people to have a good time. I do like yeah, provoking sure. new thought. But I don't like – see, that's the other thing is that I, 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 I haven't figured out that line between funny and preachy. Because mm. a lot of the ideas that I want to approach on stage, I talk about in my life right. with my friends, and I can make really good points. And when I'm not thinking about it, it comes out so hilarious. Right. But when I'm thinking about, okay, here's what I want to do, I start thinking about all the counter arguments, and then I get overwhelmed yeah. by trying to dismantle everything everyone might disagree with before I even said anything. So that's why I'm just like, okay, why don't I just speak from my experience? People are going to disagree with me. I have to accept that. Yeah. But for some reason, it's like comedians can talk about, oh, that they that they're drug addicts, you know, and the audience will go like, Haha, at least it's not me. But if I might talk about my ideas about relationships, yeah, and love and monogamy, et cetera, et cetera, they might be like, that is threatening. Yeah. You know, because drugs is like, oh, I didn't never done that, so I can laugh at you doing it. Yeah. But what I'm saying is like that might apply to my life. Although I, there is a, there is a precedent, right? Like Chris Rock talking about, uh, you know, men have affair. What was his line? It's like uh, men's men are monogamous when they don't have any other option. You know, it's something like that. It's like I don't remember the exact line. Oh yeah, but yeah. he like goes into this whole thing about how you know basically men are going to fuck a woman if they get a shot at it. And, at you know, it, right. But if they have no options in their monogamy. Yeah. And then they're all proud of themselves. You know, oh, baby, I would never like, it's oh, like you can't <laughs> driving over here. I was listening to uh, uh classic rock radio, uh -oh. which, which by the way is an amazing thing to do. If you've been out of the country for 20 years. Rock and, and roll hoochie coo. Yeah. I mean, you hear, I, I hear shit like Chicago. Yeah. Uh, you're you're young. You're thirty something. How old are you? Thirty two, right? So you don't remember this shit, but I mean, oh, I know it. Last time I heard, you know, Saturday in the Park was oh. like 1976 or something. You oh, know? Okay. All so right. for me, it's like, oh wow, I've, I haven't heard, thought of that song forever. It is a time time machine. But anyway, there was um, Elvis, uh, Suspicious Minds. Oh, okay. Oh, baby, we can't go on together with suspicious minds. I would never. Oh, I don't lie. know that song. Oh, yeah, you know it. It's I probably do. You, but you know I can't, it. I can't it's like a, it. it's one of Elvis's top five best known songs. It later, later, Elvis. Or? <laughs> well, not like fat white suit Elvis, <laughs> but, but not. I'm returning to Vegas, Elvis. <laughs> yeah, but anyway, so uh, yeah, the whole song is. Like, baby, how dare you suspect me of anything? Because I would never lie to you. Right, right, right. <laughs> Elvis. Gee, do you think Elvis might have been screwing around? Uh, nah. Come on. <laughs> Not Elvis. A giant rock star? Kobe. You really think Kobe would? I don't know oh, about. I don't think Kobe would do that. <laughs> Tiger Woods. You mentioned who you mentioned before. Well, the thing about Tiger Woods mm -hmm. well, and Kobe and Elvis and the rest of them mm -hmm. that I don't understand is why the fuck wouldn't... 
And it's not just it's not just athletes or star. You know, it's also you know very successful businessmen, like people private planes and all the shit. It's men. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They're so smart. And they're so successful in so many levels of their lives. But when it comes to negotiating a relationship, Mm -hmm. they're fucking children. Why would Tiger Woods not say, look, here's the deal. You want to marry? We don't get married. We'll get married. You got the house in Hawaii. You got the house in France. You got this. You got that. You got all everything you want. But, baby, I'm going to sleep around. That's what I do. That's the deal. Well, you know, and and, uh, who is it that I think Jim Carrey tweeted – uh, controversial statement about the whole Tiger Woods thing, which is that he's just said that there's no way his wife didn't know about this. Right. He's just like, there's no way that she wasn't complicit in some sort of way. And I, yeah. and I feel like, I, cause I feel like with the Ashton Kutcher, Demi Moore thing as well, that because he was caught with some other woman, but then that woman said, Oh, but they have an open marriage. Right. And I think maybe in both situations, there was a kind of like, we can do this. Just, be safe and be careful. I don't right. want to look like an idiot. And in both situations, the women looked like idiots. They looked cuckolded in a public sense. Well, yeah. Tiger maybe. Woods gets caught. His wife looks like the stupidest woman but, in the world. But how could she not know he would eventually get caught? That's the thing. And so that raises the question of, is she thinking he'll eventually get caught and then I'll walk away with half this guy's money. It's, that's a possibility, but I'm just thinking that maybe she was expecting him to be a little bit more careful or not. Maybe it wasn't as – she didn't know how many women it was. Right. But just kind of like just or don't be an idiot. Or how skanky they were. Sk- oh, my God. Skanks <laughs> central. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. 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 I, there was a case in, uh, in London a couple of years ago where a famous football soccer coach – um, you can say football. It's the most yeah. popular sport in the world. Hey, yeah, but you we, know, we're the only country that, re- that refuses to call it what everyone else calls it. <laughs> exactly. And we got we, the guns. We so call it fuck soccer and fuck the metric system. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a quart, damn it. Uh, anyway, what the hell am I talking football about? Oh, this, football. this football coach, he, he gets caught walking out of a whorehouse. Okay. Thai whorehouse, massage, you know, and like, you know, all these, the press is there and. And they're taking all their pictures, and he's, like, tying his shoes or something. And they say, did you know there are prostitutes there? And he says, of course. Why else would I go there? And, <laughs> and he just completely, like, switches Flipped it on it. him. And then they go to his wife. And they find his wife coming out of a grocery store. Oh, my, your husband was just caught coming. And she says, oh, well, it relaxes him. If 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 I, I wish he'd go more often. I'd pay for it myself if he'd go to those damn whores more often. He's wow. much nicer to be around. And she just sort of lays this whole thing out like, and what business is it of yours anyway? And the whole thing just disappears. Scandal. You know? You d- d- didn't feed the scandal. Right. But we always feed the scandal. Well, but don't you and think— Americans always feed the scandal. Th- well, there's, su- there's such an appetite for scandal. There, there's a lot of financial incentive mm-hmm. to feed the scandal. But, There's magazines that are dedicated to right. the very idea of scandal. Yeah. But look at what's happening now with people coming out as gay, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. Like Anderson Cooper came out as gay. Right. And nobody right. gives a shit. Nothing happened, right? There was It was like the, the rock that fell into uh, the lake. Don Lemon? Don Lemon, yeah. yeah. He's the CNN guy, right? Right, yeah. right, yes. Yeah, exactly. Like, just, yeah, okay, I'm gay, whatever. Next. He's Boom. a Vanderbilt. Come on. I'm gay. I'm also really, really rich. <laughs> and super good looking. So... And you knew I was gay anyhow. Okay, so. bye. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I look good with white hair. That's how good looking I am. He does look good with white hair. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, it's interesting too because this is a, I was talking to, I had a friend over here yesterday who I was um, coaching on an audition. 
and uh, he has recently come out of the closet in a public sense. Mm-hmm. Like he told me, he, he said he told his parents like years and years ago. Right. But like it's a thing that he's now telling some of his closer, closer friends knew, but it's a thing that he's just being open about. Right. And uh, a good close friend of mine named um, Mandy, who lives in Boston, who is um, simultaneously a gigantic fan of yours and a gigantic skeptic of everything you do. Oh, hi, Mandy. <laughs> should, should we take a break and play Mandy by Barry Manilow sure, at this want, point? Sure. All right, Yvonne. Yvonne's my, my producer. Yvonne, this is where you slip in a little 20 seconds of Mandy. Yvonne to, to cook off? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Oh, right. I listened to that episode, Damn, those you're, episodes. You're, you're almost like a stalker. I, I, <laughs> Am I a stalker? I, I don't know. I just listen to the things. I, I'm in the apartment of a stalker. <laughs> the window's He open. lured me in. I didn't even know. Chris, there's no, such, there's no such thing as black stalkers. <laughs> that's, that's true. And there aren't a lot of, like, black serial killers. No, actually, and uh, people have done studies on this. Uh, there's got to be a book, some, someone written. Yeah, there's no black that's serial a, killers. A white, it's a very white, creepy dude thing. It's a suburban thing. Yeah. If you don't live it's in the suburbs. Urban. You might, like, like, black guys might freak out and kill a bunch of people at a party or something. But it, they're not going to do it, like, one a month, yeah. you know, over And let's, let's, be, let's, be, let's be clearer here. Black people who are going to kill people. Not all black people. No. But black people. I, it happen to any black people black that woke person. up that day is like, I'm going to kill a motherfucker. <laughs> He's probably going to do it at a party. <laughs> He's, yeah. Most likely. A white guy who's like, I'm going to kill a motherfucker. Will sustain that right. over the course he'll of plan months. Plan it out. He'll like get all meticulous about it. He'll buffalo bill it. He'll dexter yeah. it. <laughs> That's right. What was the thing I was going to say? Oh, because uh, you want to take a break, right? Well, no, we just took a break. Oh, we took a break. It was like it's a fake break. We're back. Son of a motherless. Hey, we're, we're back. <laughs> we're back. That's uh, why I love this. So time. my friend Mandy, I, uh, she's a gay woman, and I had a conversation about her with her about like it was around when Wanda Sykes came out of the closet, right? And it's just a very – I said it's, a, it's an interesting thing because she didn't understand why it was a big deal that Wanda Sykes was gay or that she had to announce it to the world in right. a way. And I'm like, well, because it's Hollywood. When you're a famous person, you have a public persona and you have a private persona. Yeah. So it's yeah. like people in your life – like I'm sure lots of people in her life knew that she was gay. Sure. I would say the same was true for Ellen DeGeneres. Right. But then it – it was. It's a different thing to come out to your fans, right? The people who have been buying stuff and supporting you financially, you know, just like yeah. they might turn on you. They might just go like, "I don't like that." Were you surprised? I mean, you're you're from Vegas, yeah, Vegas, right? Las Vegas, Nevada, yeah. Which funny, my my wife, who's from Mozambique, right? Um, Almost the same as Vegas, yeah. similar to Vegas, yeah, very similar. She says funny shit sometimes. Okay. E- English is her sixth language, so she's got you know. I cut her as much slack as I'm humanly possible, but she'll say some funny shit. Like the other day she woke up and she said, or, or we were having lunch. She said, this morning I woke, woke up with a pimp on my nose. <laughs> <laughs> I think you mean pimple, baby. <laughs> Cause, but I love the image, you know? <laughs> like, there's a damn Was pimp on my nose. wearing a purple suit? <laughs> and a feather, you know, hat. Um, <laughs> and the Cadillac. Where was the Cadillac? But uh, what am I talking about? Oh, the other day my sister said she's going to Vegas. Mm-hmm. And Casilda Moyer said, oh, what part? And we just thought that was so funny because, like, 
for anyone except people who grew up in Vegas, mm-hmm. there are no parts. It's just there's the strip. There's it's Vegas. vomit in the middle of a desert. <laughs> That's all the there sky is. vomited buildings and it just <laughs> fell on the floor in the middle oh, of the desert. Man. I've mean, only been there once. There's different neighborhoods, but it's all still Vegas. I mean, there's like Henderson yeah. and Summerlin. And, right, but if you're going to Vegas, you're going to Vegas. You're not going to some, you know. Oh, I'm going to. A, you're going to the parts where you're going to come back with a story. Or make one up. Or make yeah. one up, exactly. Well, here's my Vegas story. I've only been there once. It was right after I finished my dissertation. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're writing a dissertation, doing all this work, and you're painfully aware that three, four, or five maybe people will ever read it, you know? Right, right, so right. So you fantasize that, oh, someone's going to invite me to some conference and, you know, whatever. And lo and behold, two months after my dissertation, I got an email from Professor So-and-so saying, we'd love to invite you and a companion, all expenses paid, to Las Vegas to present your research. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And I'm like, fuck yeah. Biggest swingers convention in the world. 3,000 couples in one hotel. Oh, there's a swingers conference in Vegas, you say, <laughs> stroking the beard. In August, Ooh. Yeah, like when your feet stick to the <laughs> to the street. So everyone's that. parts were sweaty and smelly. <laughs> a lot of they're sw- dedicated to yeah. swinging. Yeah. If people had been perspiring as much as they should be in Vegas <laughs> exactly. at that time. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know what the hell. Oh, that's that right. Yeah, to do you, with yeah. I think you said that. I heard. I, yeah, a swingers conference, swinger lifestyle. Yeah, oh, that was. Oh, that's right. Lifestyle. That was a long time ago. The, though. Is, that was, the, is that the code for it? It's the lifestyle. That life. Yeah, we're in the lifestyle. Are you in the lifestyle? Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. That's my Europe. That's my European story. I had a, a friend of mine, Noah Star. We were hired by Lifestyles Condoms. Condoms oh. to do a series of internet comedy internet videos. And so they flew us to Europe. They oh, flew us nice. to we first place we were is Amsterdam. <laughs> the whole thing was that we were supposed to do man on the street stuff with quote unquote hot European girls because that's who's going to be on the lifestyles website or like young men that want right. to hear what European women have to say about sex. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if you know this, but if you're two loud Americans walking around with a camera. Going to really talk to you, <laughs> especially not, gonna, not the high young ones. Especially, yeah, not the hot young ones. Especially, like, it's like, what's going on in your vagina right now? That, that's not a that's not a question that they're going to answer in this in the in the middle of Bratislava. Uh, yeah, that's where we went. We went to oh, Amsterdam, man. then Bratislava, outside of Bratislava, this little town called Oh Suburban Bratislava. Yes, nice. Because we had a guide that was from there. Uh-huh. That was like the she was like the cousin of the guy that was married to this other woman. It was like a thing in the production company yeah. um katka so she took us around that town then we went to stockholm which was swedish winter oh which meant that the sun goes down at 2 p.m <laughs> and your dick is so small you couldn't get a condom anywhere well, near it there you Come go on. do you have and, fur condoms and also lifestyles nobody knows what the hell it is in europe it's not the international standard All right directs oh is the international standard right. so they know what trojans are but like we said we just had to stop saying we had to say an American condom company because nobody knew what the hell lifestyles was. Right. The end. Wasn't wow. that a great story? Yeah, it was. It's going to tapers story. off at the end like James <laughs> Joyce, where you're like, half of, this was in, half of this was in gibberish. What's going on here? <laughs> That's literature, baby. Yeah. <laughs> so, wait, did we finish the, the Mandy thing? That she's, she's a fan, but she's skeptical? Yeah, you know, well, I was just saying that I was telling her the phenomenon of coming out of the closet in your, oh. in your, in your private oh, sense oh, and right. in public. And I wanted to ask you about. Um, like when you came to Hollywood and got into all this stuff, mm-hmm. were you surprised 
at the distance between the public persona and the private persona in the sense that, you know, you're talking about um, uh, who was it who came out of the closet and Mandy was Wanda confused. Sykes. Wanda Sykes, yeah. right. So now the thing is, given what we were just talking about with the mm-hmm. whole, you know, indust- the, the whole uh, scandal industrial complex right, and the, right, you know, these right. things that feed off that, it's amazing how long famous people are able to keep their secrets yeah. to me. That yeah. blows my mind. Like John Travolta, you know, or Tom Cruise or whatever, if that stuff's true about them, how have they maintained this for so long? It's amazing. Well, I would assume that it has to do with an agreement that they may have made or make with certain public outlets that like, look, yeah. you keep this information. Like it's almost like a, a, a blackmail. In right. sort of a way. Like I'll you give keep, you an exclusive. Yeah. You, you keep that information right. down there in the dark, in the vault, in yeah. the dungeon, and then I will tell you these things. But aren't there so many outlets these days? that If you were hanging out in a gay bath club and John Travolta was there, there are a million people you could tell that story to. And you got your cell phone and, you know, it's like – it seems to me that there's so many ways for secrets to get out. These well, and days. that's and that's uh, and that's a big thing. I mean, like people, there are some people who like their whole thing is outing people. Yeah, you know, I mean, I remember Dan Savage talking about about this about like he says that we straight people tend to fall for oh, if someone's going to come out of the closet, they should do that on their own time. It's a very personal, emotional journey. Right. And I mean, his take on it was just like, no, if I know he's gay, I'm going to tell everybody because mm. it forces them out. It's like you can't have your gay cake and gay eat it too. Yeah. You can't just – you can't do that lifestyle secretly yeah. and then maintain this other fake thing. Which Especially if the fake thing is homophobic, which it often is in the public Especially if sphere. it's like a, someone that's in politics. Yeah. I don't know what it is about self-hating, closeted gay men that yeah. makes them go, I'm going to run for senator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Get some ass. Just like, yeah, some some of that page. Washington, D.C., I'll tell you this much. There's a big D in that. D.C. <laughs> oh, shit. All right. So wait a minute. What, what the heck are we talking about? Yeah. Baron Vaughn. Is that your real name? That's my real name. That's like, that's that's almost Anderson Cooper, man. It's a, that it's, is it's, so you might say it's aristocratic. Regal as regal. shit. It's regal it's as a scientific term. That's right. <laughs> So I never finished uh, – yeah. you got offended about the abonics, so I have to tell you the story. Oh, oh I'm yeah. scared now. Um, I'm in Spain, and I get a call one day from a friend of mine saying, Chris, do you understand black people? <laughs> and I th- I, th- you know, sh- I have lots of <laughs> – some of my best friends are black. That is a great opening sentence. Yeah, and I, I thought she meant on a conceptual level. I said, yeah, I guess. And she said, great, because they were doing this film festival – and it's an independent film festival, and that year they were focused on the origins of hip-hop and Delta Blues. And they had this team of 20 Spanish interpreters who speak English perfectly, and they could not understand a word these dudes were saying on the on the DVDs. Too rhythmic, too, <laughs> too slangy. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, you, my crib, what's up in, you know, the crib. Like, well, I don't know, crib, they look it up in the dictionary, or they know what it means with okay, it. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, so literally they paid me to go watch these movies and like wow. pause it like, okay, he just said he was going to take the girl back to his apartment. Oh, okay. And completely I'll take PC. a bird back to the nest. <laughs> I'm going to lay some chicks, yeah. So I don't know. So it actually is on my, my CV. Thank God I don't need to look for a job. Ebonics translator. Um, yeah, but now that I know that's insulting, I need to think of another way to say that. that, that translator. 
To, from what to what, though? Just I mean, say translator. But that's not funny. And then you, what you do is you say translator, and then when people ask, <laughs> you got a story to tell. <laughs> well, you ask. This is what you do. This is what you do. Translator, parentheses, interesting story. <laughs> ask me. That's right. Ask me about ask my translation story. services. <laughs> if you like my translating, call this number. Yeah. yeah. Okay. No, I've got one of those one of those resumes that, like, it would never get me a job, mm-hmm. you know, but it's got some, like, I taught English to hookers in Bangkok. Okay. You know, who hasn't? What, like you do. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to make some money in Bangkok, you're going to teach English Holy to hookers. Holy crap, yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, enough about me. Okay. Uh, so Baron Vaughn's your real name. Baron it's Vaughn's not your Hollywood name. name. Nope. And did you come here like you're one of those guys, like I'm going to go to Hollywood and get famous? Well, you know, I uh, growing up in Vegas, I got actually just in Vegas last weekend because I went to this performing arts high school in Vegas oh, called okay. Las Vegas Academy. Which, when I was in middle school, the librarian of my middle school was the wife of the principal. It opened in 1993. Right. So it was the 20th year anniversary of this high school existing. That's why I went back to Vegas. And uh, so I went to it. I, audition, I had to audition. It's a magnet school. Right. So you have to audition for it. And there were a couple different disciplines. There was theater and dance, um, you know, chorus singing, um, all the band instruments, all the orchestra instruments, mm. and then also an international studies program and visual art. Um, so I auditioned for theater and it was in high school that I became serious about acting. All, all, it, all, all it was was that I loved comedy. I watched comedy on TV. I grew up with Nick at Night. Right. Uh, I watched a lot of Nick at Night. So it was like uh, white people in black and white. <laughs> so then when they're the whitest white people. So I remember when when Sammy Davis Jr. was a guest star on the Patty Duke show. Uh-huh. I must have reacted as black people in the '60s reacted. We're just like Sammy. Did- we're on television. <laughs> we are all, we did it. <laughs> but you um, got to be Jewish. Right? That, well, that was the thing. I don't think, I don't know if he was a, a Jew near yet by then. <laughs> uh, yeah. I know how you spell Sammy Davis Jr. J E W. That's stupid. Um, so in high school, you know, so I saw stand up and I liked yeah. comedy and I just saw it as people getting on stage. Right. And I, so that's why I got into theater. I go to this high school I got serious about acting. I realized it was like a it's, a, it's a craft. It's a skill. So your first interest was the comedy, and that led you into the theater. They the led acting. me into acting, right. right. So just like, yeah, you, you have a certain amount of talent um, that that is either palpable or isn't, but you can learn certain tools to right. bring that out in right. you. Um, and then I got serious about theater schools in, on a collegiate level uh-huh. that I was like, I can, again, it's like I'm training. You know, like like if you were going to be an athlete, you would train. So right. I thought, I'm an actor. I'm going to train to do this. Right. Which in America, again, people don't value that. Yeah. When you tell people in this country, I'm an actor, they hear, I want to be famous. Right. Whereas, again, in England, I'm sorry to continue to romanticize no, you're right about how that. they yeah. feel about the arts. Um, that it is, even though it's an incredibly repressed culture, but they value the arts. Yeah. Right. There's the famous quote about... Uh, I think Winston Churchill during the war, the Great War, not the Great War, that's World War One, World War Two, right? No, which one is it? Yes, World War Two. They're all great. They're all great. Oh, I love them. All those wars, fantastic. <laughs> the movies. Oh, 
What would the, we do? The what would we do? Yeah, there'd be no. What would Steven Spielberg make a miniseries about? No Hogan's Heroes. Uh, no Colonel Clink. What is up with oh, Hogan's Hogan. Heroes? It's anyway, a weird. Finish your story. Oh yeah, let's not get it's off. Not the weird as F Troop though. So uh, <laughs> that's right. You're right. They, which was sort of like I don't know which came first, but they're two in the same genre. I'll tell you which came first: the egg. So. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's so stupid. Uh, what the heck was I talking about? Uh, the arts. Look at that. I'm getting. I'm getting, I'm getting in tangential speaking. <laughs> speaking tangentially. Tan- speaking tangentially. Uh, I do have a the dumb arts. joke, uh, like a little saved line. When I go on like a little tangent in my act, I go like, "That was a tangent." Won't you co-sign math jokes? Because <laughs> it's like, yeah, black uh, comedians are math yeah. jokes. Yeah, yeah. And then and then you like pause for five seconds for people to catch up, right? Yeah, exactly. Cosine. Some people are just tangent. like tangent cosine. They're wow. Like high school. What? There's something from high school. Something yeah. from high school. stand-up are you acting or are you you it's it's a little of both i mean that's the great contradiction of acting yeah there's a bunch of different schools of thoughts right on acting and one is a gentleman named sanford meisner meisner technique and one of the defining factors it's it's a thing that uh, david mamet has co-opted a lot in the way that he or his school way that it's like and the teacher used to say it's you and you are the character Hmm. you are the character but the character is also you Right. So it's the great contradiction. Right. Is that it's you in fictional circumstances. Yeah. There's no artificiality because that's what the method was, is that I'm going to create a different person. You know, Daniel Day Lewis takes a full year to ramp up into getting into a character yeah. where he starts walking different, starts talking different, mm-hmm. starts living his life in a way he believes that character would be. Um there's some famous story about when he did the crucible. That he showed up a month before production, even got showed up to work the land. Yeah, to get into John Proctor's brain and body. Yeah, I know someone who were, who was on that movie who told me that story. Actually, was it one of the actors? Or like I, a, I can't remember who it was. Now you just—I've re- never seen the movie, but I remember recently someone telling me that story about Daniel Day Lewis on set would never get out of character. Mm. 
mm. was out there like with you know working with a shovel and like doing the whole thing. That's what he does. He stays in character. Yeah. He asks people to call him like with Lincoln. He asks people to call him Mr. President or, or right. good old Abe or something like that. And he lost his shit in in London. He was doing Hamlet. That. One of our teachers told us this story when I was in England. Right. Because there was a production of Hamlet that was going on, and she was like, I'll tell you who the Hamlet of Hamlet of Hamlets was. <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis. And we're like, what? He's like, yeah, he did this production. It was near when his actual father had actually died. Yeah. That was it. So he actually, as a human being, was right. dealing with was the feelings that he that. lost his father. And he's like, I should do Hamlet right now. And the, the story, as I heard it, is that one time he came out, there was either a gentleman in the audience that looked exactly like his father or he thought he saw his father and he stopped and said, I can't do this. I'm sorry. And checked himself into a mental institution. Like he literally came out to do his first thing and he was like, oh, that's my dad. Yeah. You know what, guys? I'm not well. Right. I'm going to go. And for people who haven't read the play, Hamlet sees the ghost of his father. He sees the ghost of his that's father. That's one of the main conceits of the play. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then his understudy finished the role. Huh. His understudy got incredible reviews and got his own career. Nice. Ray Fiennes. No shit, really? And if you think about wow. their faces, yeah, they have similar faces. So you could see Ray Fiennes understudying yeah. – because da Daniel Day-Lewis was already big shit. Yeah. He had done a couple movies. I think he had Oscars already or whatever. Yeah. And then he yeah. did this production. Yeah, it wasn't that long ago when I read about that. Yeah, I mean Daniel Day-Lewis, talk about an actor. I mean his first thing, My Beautiful Laundrette, he plays a gay guy. And then I think the next was Unbearable Lightness, Unbearable of, being. Lightness of Being, where he's a womanizer. One of my favorite novels of all time, by the way. I Unbearable got it in my bedroom. Oh. Uh, that book got read it me every a night, job. Really? really? Yeah. How did it get yeah. you a job? A guy, I was working at a restaurant in New York, and a guy was reading it. We started talking, and he ended up hiring me as his personal assistant to help him run $50 million worth of real estate in the Diamond District. Yeah, and that's a very boiled-down version of the story, but yeah. I, okay. So I ended up living, it's like six months after I arrived in Manhattan from Alaska, where I was gutting salmon. Uh, I was living rent free on Fifth Avenue in a penthouse. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, owned by this guy. <laughs> you got some stories, Chris Ryan. <laughs> See, I, I, that's my biggest thing. I'm trying to, to learn how. I'm writing all this material about how antisocial I am and, and how because I'm an introvert. Yeah. Which is like, there's like this resurgence of introversion. Like I feel like I'm hearing more, seeing articles about introverts yeah. and more studies about what an introvert is, and it seems like common, commonly extrovert. Introverts always understand extroverts. Hmm. Extroverts never understand introverts. Hmm. It's kind of like, why do you want to sit here by yourself? Let's go do something. It's like, I am doing something in my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically it. Yeah. What the crap? Okay, so to get to your question, which you asked, oh, did I? Which was why did I come to Los I'm Angeles? So professional. Oh yeah. Hollywood. Oh yeah. I yeah. know. I'm tracking yeah. it. I'm tracking. Exactly. It. I'm keeping the tangents. So you're up. an artist, is what you're saying. You're not chasing fame. You're an actor. Yeah. I mean, I, I, so I started doing stand up, and then I moved to New York, and I luckily my first job was a Broadway play, oh, which sweet. I after it was done, I was broke, and then I worked at a law firm. Were you for, one of the cats? I was one which of the cats. One were you? I played Caddy McCattercats. <laughs> uh, no, it was a play called Drowning Crow. It was an all black adaptation of Anton Chekhov's The Seagull. Oh, wow. And it had a great cast, people, Alfred Woodard, who I still keep in touch with, uh, Tracy Toms, Anthony Mackie, who's having a hell of a career, a lot of really interesting black actors mm. um, of all different age, ages and ranges. Um, but then that ended, and then I was broke, and then I worked at a law firm for a year and a half. So the thing is, 
I was doing okay in New York as an actor. I was, I was, I started booking commercials. I was able to quit my day job and do stand up, uh, concert and stand up, and then I started booking stand up gigs at colleges, which I did hardcore for three years, which is an intense market. Um, Is that? Sorry to interrupt you, but is that a? Would you say that's a good training ground, or is it leads you astray because the audience is so focused in one age group? Both. Uh, it's a good training ground in that it teaches me how to build – it taught me how to build an hour set from, right. the, ground, from the ground yeah. up because a lot of comedians – at a sh- regular showcase show, you get 10 minutes. Uh, open mic is like five minutes. Some right. are three. Right. So – and then when you start to get better and you start to get booked on shows, you'll get 10 minutes. Um, at the clubs in the rest of the country, which aren't Los Angeles and New York, you can get promoted up to emceeing the shows and then featuring, which is like a 20 to 30 minute set. So you learn how to build a longer set. Right. And then when you build an hour, a lot of people are doing it with either I'm going to put two feature sets together and that becomes 60 minutes. Two 30-minute sets become 60. Or I'm going to do six different 10-minute sets. So we're building our act joke joke by joke and then putting it together in some sort of thematic way, right. possibly. But I learned how to fit all that together with a, a giant mold, and I got to fill this in. Right. And that's kind of what it taught me. When you're on stage mm-hmm. and you're doing a long set, whether mm-hmm. it's half an hour, an hour or something, are you – is it sequential? Like are you are – you, okay, this joke leads into that and this, this story leads into that. So, or are you like – you're just seeing what connects, and you're pulling stuff from your repertoire as well, you go. But, uh, for me, it's sequential. Uh-huh. Um, some comedians do that. Uh, like Robin Williams is a, is a free associator. Yeah. So well. he, he has <laughs> – yeah. he's, he's super – obviously, he's super quick. Yeah. He's super smart. He retains ridiculous amounts of information. So he'll free associate, but he'll build an act out of that. Right. And some comedians can riff like that where it's just kind of like they'll talk to the audience – which something will come up that reminds them of a joke they have. Right. Then they can, because some comedians, like, for instance, uh, Paula Poundstone, whom I used to hate when I was a kid, but when I got older and started doing stand up, I watched her and I'm like, oh my God, I cannot believe how good she actually mm. is. I don't know where she's doing crowd work and where it's scripted material. Right. Because she, it's so organic and she's such a good riffer. And then she'll lead into a completely different story. And then come back to the audience, and it's just like, what? What yeah. is that scripted? Is that planned? Right. I will lay out my jokes, and this studies that theme. This moves to that theme, and a big way that I'll write material is is by that free association between those two subjects. If I have a joke about uh, television, and then I have a joke about uh, I don't know, name a random object, um, a dildo. If I have a joke about television, I have a joke about a dildo, there's so much in between those two subjects. I could talk about television, images on television, sex on television, sex as um, sex as a, as a thing that people use to sell, commercials, sexy commercials, what we're being told about ourselves through sexy commercials. Right. Um, the, what, even though there's all these sex and commercials, you never really see commercials about things that are sexy. Right. It's like you – it's shame it, – we can, we can put a girl in a bikini – and it's like, yeah, that's she's drinking Coke. Now I'm going to. <laughs> yeah. But if we do a dildo commercial and there's a Coke next to it, it's not going to make you be like, oh, now I'm going to <laughs> use that dildo. Yeah. So it's like going through yeah. dildo, sex toys, why there's so much shame amongst sex toys. Yeah. But sex and commercials is like that's all that all that stuff that I just said. There can be jokes and, and things in. about right. all that stuff, which will get me to right. the bit, the killer blistering bit I have about dildos. Right. Right. Over here to the right. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it makes sense. So I do lay it out, and, and I think it has to do with my theater training, my storytelling training, is that like I know that I'm constantly planting seeds of different themes mm. whatever, with whatever I talk about. So I have to connect the dots in some way that makes sense to me yeah. to create an arc for the hour-long set. Some other comedians do joke by joke. But it's like you can't really – sometimes – and, and it's, a lot of people don't think about, about this. You can't do two jokes that negate each other in the same set. Because the audience is listening to you. Yeah. So you can't have a joke. Sometimes it's, it's jarring to the audience and they don't know why. If you do like a, re- a joke about how much you hate women and then you do a joke about how much you love your wife. <laughs> well, she's not a woman. It's just like you have serious issues with women. Yeah. But one married you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. How did that? Uh, I see. So you have to be uh, a coherent entity in the audience's mind definitely yeah although maybe messing with that you know goes to another meta level like andy kaufman you can yeah you can and that's what it is. sometimes that is the that's the bit within the bit right is that right. i'm going to i'm going to negate each thought yeah. i set out i'm gonna be like man women yeah. are great aren't they yeah. but anyway what was i saying women are awful yeah and that might just <laughs> yeah. be the whole joke yeah that you like, you keep switching your side on these subjects yeah. for the entire act. And Louis C.K. does that with like with his kids. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. I love my daughter more than anything. I, I didn't know I could love anything this much, but I regret every decision I ever made that led to her being born. <laughs> <laughs> it's like exactly. Yeah. And but I think as parents, like I, I'm not a parent, but I imagine like every parent goes, "Yep, the, that contradiction is part of being a parent." Well, and then there's also this kind of anti Cosby element to, yeah. to, to <laughs> yeah, Louis. Right. So it's just kind of like he wrote some article somewhere because he got a lot of flack about how much shit he talked about his daughters. Right. And people were just like, oh, he's not a good parent. And he wrote some articles saying like he loves his daughters. That's why he hates them. Yeah. Because he cares about them so much they can hurt his feelings. Right. You know? And he's like taken over his life. And yeah. it, there was something like you don't you've never really loved your you don't love your children unless you've given them the finger to the back of their head <laughs> as they're walking away from you. Yeah. It's just like, wow, okay. And there was, that was the illustration. It's like you saw a finger, like a little girl's head. She was walking away and you I saw a finger. Yeah. So, okay, so the point is I booked this TV show. Yeah. Fairly legal. And that's why you came out here? That's why, because oh, I booked it from right. New York. Oh, okay. And I was like, okay, my stakes have risen. Right. I should move to Los Angeles where the quote-unquote industry is. Right. And that's why I moved here, even though I spent most of my time in Vancouver. And was that filming. two and a half years ago? Uh, yeah, about yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Oh, so you're a newbie. You could say that. Yeah. So what do you think? Are you, are you going to stick around here or are you going to move Well, on when people, people always ask me, uh, do you like L.A.? And I say that it's not the point of it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Like you can like Los Angeles, but I didn't move here to like it. Right. I moved here to work. Right. But I have learned to like it. And I, I'm realizing also um, that people ask me if I miss New York. I'm like, of course I miss New York. It's yeah. New York. Yeah. New York is the sexy, mischievous ex-lover. That you still think about every now and then when you're with your current lover. Right. It's just kind of like, oh, New York used to do such dirty, nasty things. <laughs> and you think about the good times, but then you also go like, but also it was, it could be really awful yeah. and be, be mean to me. But it's over there now. So you romanticize it. Yeah. And then when you go back, you're like, I'm here again. Yes. Yeah. Unless it's awful. And then you realize New York doesn't give a shit. New York yeah. does not care about That's you. That's part of the appeal. Yeah. Someone told me that. I remember a friend of mine said, I like what Foucault said about New York. I'm like, I'm sorry. <laughs> could you I shut said, up? Like, sorry. <laughs> that, that's the most horrible way you could, you could, start, a, you could start a sentence. Exactly. I don't want to hear the yeah. rest of this. Uh, what Foucault said about New York. Yeah. I'm leaving. Yeah. You, just, you just started a conversation in a way that I don't want right. to hear. 
But I don't know. <laughs> she told me that uh, he said that New York is a prison. Uh-huh. That when people leave it, they talk about what it was like to be inside of it. Uh-huh. Just like you would a prison. Right. It's like the rules are different in there. It's like, oh, when you're in New York, these things happen. But now that yeah. I'm out of so New York, ass yeah. Yeah. so much ass fucking, <laughs> you drop your soap in the middle of 23rd and Broadway. <laughs> yeah, you just leave it there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my favorite New York quote is, uh, I don't remember who he was. He was a, a British writer whose name escapes me at the moment. But uh, he first visit to New York, it's like the 30s or the 40s. He was in Times Square. Looking at Times Square, and someone said to him, what, what are you thinking? What are you thinking? He said, I'm thinking how beautiful this would be if I couldn't read. <laughs> ah, <laughs> sensory overload. Oh, yeah. Well, and just like all this lights, all this art, all this creativity going into Coca-Cola, you know, underwear, Calvin Klein, whatever bullshit it was. It's like, yeah, yeah, I don't know. You, you were talking about Winston Churchill mm-hmm. earlier. I just heard a great quote of his the other day, one of his classics. He was at a dinner. He was always drunk, right? He was at a dinner like, being you know, obnoxious. And one of the women at the dinner said, oh, if you were my husband, I'd poison your coffee. And he said, if you were my wife, I'd drink it. <laughs> I have heard that. Yeah, that's, that's good. That's good. Yeah, uh, my, my, my <laughs> probably like probably more like that. Do we need to wrap it up? I can see your no, no, no. Oh, okay. I, I'm I whatever. I mean, I'm having a good time. As long as I don't know what you got to do. I mean, you're a mover and a shaker. I'm moving and I'm shaking all the time. You got your Milano. It's also here. called having a seizure. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. I was eating these last night. They're so crummy. Crummy like they just, is a good crumbs thing. everywhere. Yeah, I'm just like ah. Oh. Crummy's not a word you hear much anymore. Like oh, that's a crummy restaurant or. Crummy. Yeah, and I and I I meant it in terms of actual crumbs. That's the other yeah, thing. Yeah, I know. Like, I'm eating those literally. cookies. There's, there's crumbs everywhere. I'm having a little ant problem, so I'm trying. I'm vacuuming. Oh, I'm right. keep you vacuuming every single crumb I find. Um, that's why I'm just like oh, these cookies. There's crumbs everywhere. I can't eat these. These are crummy. <laughs> <laughs> Even though they're delicious, but they're crummy. Well, I think crummy, as the adjective, it doesn't have a B, does it? Crummy. No. There's no B in no. crummy. No, crumby? Crum- <laughs> Gumby's, Gumby's Gumby. weird cousin. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> it's one of the Muppets. I'm Gumby, damn it. Um, no, yeah. There yeah. would just be with two M's, wouldn't it? So now just to describe the yeah. space we're in here, mm-hmm. there's a lovely fireplace in the corner. Fireplace in the corner. Yeah. A structural mistake. <laughs> it's a weird place to put there's a, a pilot light. That light, because that switch above there just turns it on. It just turns it on. And, and supposedly and... there's an earthquake failsafe that will turn that pilot light off. Oh, that's good to know. Because yeah. you know, anything could happen exactly but but uh, behind you mm-hmm. we've got three paintings yes did you do those no uh there's these i was at my agent's office and he had some paintings up these guys named 214 graffiti they are they're like graffiti painters it's like a spray paint a spray can exactly yeah, yeah. and uh i picked yeah. those images these are my three probably biggest well, influences for exactly stand up that i was gonna ask right bill cosby steve martin and richard Pryor. right i actually got to pick those images and they stenciled them and showed me what it would look like and uh, and I picked the color schemes. I said, well, use these different colors, reds oh, and purples nice. and yellows. So and... it's custom made. Yeah. Wow. They were one fifty. They're like one fifty a piece. And and are they aligned in order of magnitude? No, Bill no. Cosby's up top. I gotta say, not order mag, not in order of magnitude. I mean, I Bill Cosby is the consummate storyteller. Uh, I would say that his his comment his commentary on race is how absent race is from his act. That's a good point. That's an interesting point. Yeah, huh? Steve Martin, the ponder that a little bit. Yeah, ponder the shit out of it. (laughs) Let's just pause for a moment while I ponder that. Yeah, Um, (laughs) because because Bill Cosby is 
and people talk about this, the Time Magazine, when Cosby Show was on, Time Magazine, cover, yeah. Bill Cosby's face says America's father. Right. Not America's black, black father. father. Not right. black yeah. America's father. Right. He was the number one dad. Yeah. In the United States, a black man. When was that? Was like late we're talking 70s? about like like no, we're talking about eighties, eighties. Yeah, because okay. Cosby Show came on, but he was uh, huge, right? Since oh, he the was 60s. already eighties. I mean, he he's was so yeah, yeah. He Since because he started probably in the fifties, right? Started doing stand up, right? And yeah, started in the sixties and seventies, became more and more popular. Had all those different shows, I Spy, and like. Did he ever go through like you know George Carlin started out mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. normal sort of. Uh, Right, the hippie dippy weatherman. Well, like, before the hippie dippy, he was like a normal guy with a tie. With a you know, tie, he was right. doing this straight. Did Cosby ever go through a like an angry black thing or any no, sort Co- of? No, because Cosby, political... Cosby's Cosby, as 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 far as I know, and I will say, Cosby's always just been really focused on this this storytelling comedian, right? And and also the unifying factor of we all have families, right? I'm going to tell you. These stories about my family growing up and the family that I have in a way that you will relate to it. Right. And so even he if never you, saw himself as a black comic. And, no, I yeah. don't think so. Right. Even though he grew up in like the mean streets of uh, Pittsburgh, right? Oh, right. Or Philadelphia, I oh, mean to say, because he, te- uh, he went to Temple. Yeah. Um, so he's from Philly. He went to Temple. Like that was, you know, like so all the, the, the uh, what's it, the uh, Fat Albert? Right, but Albert and and the what the, the get along the Cosby kids, yeah. Fat Albert, that, th- those are his kids. Yeah. Those are the kids that, that he grew up with. Right. That was his neighborhood. Yeah, hanging out in a in a, in a garbage heap. Right, <laughs> at a junkyard. So he is from that sort of inner city. You know, yeah, he came out of that, and then like, but he, but his his goals were to become educated, which is exactly the goals mm. that my grandmother set upon me. That's why I, I've never I don't speak Ebonics, if you will, because right. my grandmother. Used to call me on that. Yeah, she used to. I would say, yeah, and she'd be like, "I'm sorry, what did you say?" <laughs> I mean, yes, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Thank you. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. Um, and so she, because I remember her used to talk about like athletes, like the way that they talk. She's like, they're going to college, right? She's like, they're in school and they still sound ignorant. That was her take. No, this is in Vegas. Yeah, this yeah. is growing up in Vegas. Is there a large black population in Vegas? Yeah, yeah. I was I was born in New Mexico. Right. I moved to Vegas when I was like mm, seven, six-ish. So were there black kids in school? Or definitely. Most, definitely. Yeah. And I was in the ghetto of Vegas, too, North, North Town, North Las Vegas. Uh-huh. And so it was all it was black and Latino kids. Mm. That was my neighborhood. And then I moved to a uh, part that was more black and Asian. Mm. So it was like a lot of Filipinos and Vietnamese in specific right. that I grew up with in that neighborhood. Uh, and then, yeah, so there was a big, big ethnic population in Las Vegas. Definitely. Uh-huh. Definitely. So, so that's, you had the opportunity to talk uh, a much more street kind of. Oh, and I did it. Yeah, yeah. I, I did it and home. I do it. Uh, that's okay. the thing is that like, yeah, not at home. I had three distinct personalities. So I, you like talking white to me now? Is that just definitely what I'm but I'm Irish. I'm not white. Son of a bitch. Yeah. yeah. Are you black Irish, though? <laughs> Are you black Irish? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I just uh, the way that I spoke the most, I guess, is just that. I aped again, Nick at night, like watching TV. I, mm-hmm. I started talking like the people I saw on television. I started talking like more like them and less like everyone that I was around. Yeah. So even though I could do that and I did it because I was a, I was a social chameleon 
as a survival instinct that if, like, if I'm around these kids, I'm going to talk this way and talk right. about these things. If mm-hmm. I'm talking to a teacher, I'm going to talk this way. If I'm talking to my parents, I'm going to talk this way. If I'm at a store ordering something, I'm going to talk this way. Yeah. It always was like I, I can decide what personality I want to use depending on what I want to get from yeah. whomever it is I'm talking to. Right. Well, and that's you're an actor. And there I'm an actor. Go. There you go. There you go, social comedian. So, yeah, Cosby. Uh oh yeah, education, especially when you see it in his TV show. Yeah. I mean, he's a doctor. Right. You know, he got his doctorate. He went to eighteen degrees. Yeah. In his TV show, it was always this this link of black history. That was the other thing. It was a black family, but th- you'd always see people like Ossie Davis and Lena Horne, and just he was always uh, making right. and that he, it was so important to him to promote schools like Spelman and Morehouse and like historically black colleges, uh-huh. et cetera, et cetera. And that's Cosby. So and Steve Martin, the the silliest silly sill sills. Philip, silly philosopher, a super smart, a philosopher. Yeah, he was a philosophy major in college. Did you read his book? Oh yeah, oh, definitely. Uh, Disneyland and all that stuff. Oh, born, man. born standing up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Being a magician, such a smart and stuff dude. like that, and patter. Yeah, um, and then. And, and an introvert, super introvert, super introverted, yeah. exactly. Very much in his head, very much thinking, but also playing the character of performer yeah. when he was performing. Well, that's what I was asking you. If on stage, are you you or are you? Playing the role of this guy named Baron Vaughn. Well, I, I like to think that I'm doing both. Yeah. I like to think that I, I'm sometimes, I'm playing an exaggerated part of myself. Because you're an introvert. And now that yeah. we're talking about this, I'm looking at these guys. I would guess all three of those guys are introverts. Definitely. And probably most comedians are introverts. Yes, usually they are. And yet they do this thing that's that's in some ways the most naked public performance you can do, uh, you know, short of porn and even porn, you know. Well, that's why sometimes there's a lot of crossover. <laughs> there's comedy porn shows. <laughs> yeah, it's like porn stars and comedians, which I'm just kind of like, can you laugh when you have a boner? I, I don't know. I just heard, what was it last week? They did a thing at the comedy store where uh, was what? it the Naughty Show? It was with Red Band, Brian Red Band. They do a thing. Yeah, that, that might have been the. Ooh, and it was uh, oh, this really well-known porn star was there on stage, and it was like part of the comedy thing. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Well, because yeah. you know, like sexuality makes people giggle. It makes it gives people it gives people <laughs> it like they get the giggles, and you just yeah. keep pushing those giggles to the point where they're laughing. Yeah, it's like oh, that's uncomfortable. Oh, I'm uncomfortable yeah. now. Yeah. Peter says, "Well, I didn't know we were going to be talking about that." <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're, you know, you're talking about like talking different ways depending who you're talking with. Mm-hmm. I, I was on uh, Joe Rogan's show a couple, yeah. a couple of days ago. I like to call him Drogan. Rogan. Drogan. Yeah. Oh, Drogan. He doesn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> I never said it to his face. But, <laughs> yeah. And I won't because he's, he's a martial artist. It's funny. Uh, yeah, and weird like comedians. Like he's the, he's like, you know, we're talking about comedians being introverts but doing this very extroverted thing. There aren't a lot of comedians who are like ass kickers. Mm-hmm. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, yeah. you don't think of a comedian as like, ooh, someone you'd be scared of. Right, right, and, right. And he's a very interesting animal because he's like, yeah, he's a sweet guy, but he could kick your ass if he wanted to. And that's what's – and that's absolutely correct. He does have – he has a black belt. You know, he, He's like a national jiu-jitsu he, he champion or something. He has competed and he is ranked in, and in he's ways. Like and rippling and, muscles. But, but, but he is also a, an incredibly nice Guy. Super sweet dude. Because yeah. he's got maybe it's because he's not intimidated by anybody. Yeah. That he's just like you if you're not intimidated by anybody, you can either become a person that's constantly trying to intimidate others. Right. Or you can take the deeper lesson of what martial arts are about exactly. in the first place, exactly. which is about self control and meditation. Right. right. And you know, the art of fighting without fighting, as Bruce yeah. Lee would, would say. But it's like 
he yeah so he can he can do that but he's also incredibly smart yeah he's incredibly smart and like and i had written joe rogan off for a long time until i started like actually watching his stand-up and that was um man what was it It was a stand-up special where he had this little monologue he was in the uh, like a limo and was just talking about humanity as a disease Oh, that yeah. were that what, he's like basically. If you looked at a piece of bread, right, and we're you the saw mold. It, we're mold. <laughs> yeah, he's like that's what we are. You're like a city is yeah. a piece of mold. Yeah. on Earth. If Earth I know what's bread. wrong with the Earth. You got a bad case of humanity. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's like I remember hearing. Yeah. That, I was like, holy, yeah. that is so incredibly smart yeah. and interesting. So okay, yeah, Cosby, Steve Martin, and then Pryor. Yeah, Pryor, who arguably. Is the greatest comedian of all time, and and I always feel like it's a toss up between Pryor and Cosby. People will disagree on that. Chris Rock says Cosby. He he, he made a baseball metaphor: Hank Aaron and Willie Mays. Hmm. You know, he's like one is everything he does is exciting every time he does it, but the one pound for pound is probably the most consistent hmm. baseball player ever. And that's Cosby. And that's Cosby, right. right? That would be Willie Mays. Yeah. And then Hank Aaron is yeah. is Pryor. It's like he's Pryor excited. Everything out. he does yeah. is like he knocks out of the park. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Pryor, though, I feel like Pryor is incredibly vulnerable. Mm. He 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 opened himself up in a way that that black yeah. people generally don't. Yeah. And especially because well, it's like, nobody does, not just black people. True, but like especially right. men, especially because we get we, we can, it's very easy to get caught in the like oh the machismo and I got to right. put on this this persona right. of like masculinity. Yeah. And but Pryor was just like I don't understand everything and I've made some mistakes. Try to learn from me. Sometimes when he tells a joke, the way he laughs it almost looks like he's crying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially the thing when he came back after the burns and all that and he did his HBO live in a sunset special. strip, yeah. That was one of the most emotionally wrenching uh, comedy shows I've ever seen. And it that's what amazing. he can do. He can go there. Yeah. He can make these these very dark, deep, personal issues of of emotional and psychological turmoil. Yeah. And he can make me laugh, yeah. make anybody laugh. Yeah. And that's what he did. He would unify. Plus, like, people said that, like, he would unify – an audience because he would divide them. He'd be like black people over here, white people over here, but he didn't just trash on either. He would celebrate both. Right. And he would, he would, he would unify everyone yeah. in the way that he made everyone laugh about the differences. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I could write a dissertation. You should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, they're, they're definitely heroes. They're so it's great. like when I, when I, I, I feel the questions that you're asking me are the questions I must ask myself in order to become a better comedian mm. that it's like, well, how much of me am I putting out there? How much of character am I putting out there? Yeah. Do, and I try to write jokes sometimes that are way more towards here's me being vulnerable and, and not understanding things. I'm trying to do that more because I get flack for how intelligent my comedy can be. Yeah. And some people think I'm hiding behind my intellect right. and I'm afraid to open up and expose myself, right. which if they knew me in my life, I do that all the time, yeah. but it's hard to translate that into stand-up and to make it funny sometimes. I, I got – I mean I, I didn't know your work at all until I started – I went to your website and watched some of the videos. You did the, the Conan bit I watched mm-hmm. and then there Jimmy Kimmel or Jimmy Fallon. Fallon. I yeah. just get them mixed up. Um, but they're both named Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy, late night Jimmys, you know, whatever. <laughs> uh, one of them was screwing uh, Sarah Silverman for a Kimmel. while. Kimmel, yeah. yeah. Yeah, good for him. She's <laughs> – 
By the way, Sarah Silverman sort of ruined TED for everybody. Do you know that whole thing? No, I don't know what they invited about. Sarah Silverman to do a TED talk two or three years ago. Oh. And she offended people. Like, well, no shit. You know, I mean, and so then it's since like when then, Chris Rock so hosted the Oscars and people were just kind of yeah. like, why did he say those things? Because <laughs> he's Chris Rock. You know, he's got his own. Or yeah. Ricky Gervais and the Golden yeah. Globes. Yeah, exactly. This yeah. is like, yeah, that's what Sarah Silverman does. Right. You asked Sarah Silverman to come. She brought Sarah Silverman. Right. And now you're like, she was all Sarah Silverman. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Happening? How dare she? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, what the hell am I talking about? Uh, oh, your thing. Yeah I, yeah. I I noticed like one of the things that really struck me was, and the reason I asked you if you ever create awkwardness as a technique, mm-hmm. there was some time, there's some timing where you pause much longer than I would have expected you to. Mm. And it, it was almost like you were cultivating, you were putting the audience a little on edge and you weren't, your rhythm wasn't, because normally those late night things, you've got what, three minutes for me, whatever it is. Yeah, yeah. You like pack it in and you're trying to make everyone, you seem to be like, I, I was impressed by the fact that you seem to be taking more risks with it. Well, th- I appreciate that. Thank you. I do experiment with silence and pause mm. and I, I do a lot of microphone manipulation. As well. So sometimes I'll hold the microphone really close to my mouth and talk really, really quietly uh. if I want to take them to kind of do a down place. And then I'll yell if uh. I need to. You know, I'll, I'll move away. I do sound effects and all sorts of crap. The TV set, though, it's a very interesting paradigm because it isn't stand up. It's Baron Vaughn with quotations around my uh, yeah. name because the way that I because you're right. It's four, four and a half minutes that I got to pack in a lot of jokes. And my jokes tend to be more long form. Right. In the way that I, in the way that I structure them. So I have to take out all this stuff, all the fat to get to the essential elements of it on television. And in that sense, I end up putting more space in there for, I end up pausing because I'm just like, I want to make sure that these ideas land. Yeah. Because it's a different context. Um, but like I said, I cut out the fat. And as we know, as meat eaters, sometimes the flavor's in the hey, fat. Hey, the flavor's All in the, the flavor's fat, in baby. the fat. Yeah, you don't want that dry. Yeah. No, I just fucking, oh, I just spaced out, man. This is the problem with okay. getting old or smoking too much dope. Or, One of those things. First time I did Rogan's show, he, he passed me a joint oh. as we were preparing for the show. Beautiful. I, I hit it like, hey, yeah, I'm cool, yeah. And so the first half hour of the show, I was like, you know, where's the seatbelt in this chair? <laughs> I was... Well, you know, and that's something I wanted to ask you about because I, 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 I'm, I'm recently, I'm working on this entire chunk of material that's about depression, right? Because I am, only, I have a very new relationship with depression oh. that I've, it's only been the last couple of years that I realized that I ever even got depressed. Hmm. I didn't realize it as a fact or element of my life, and I'm taking it from this racial point of view, where it's just kind of like like I was in theater school, went to performing arts high school. I was in theater school. I'm in art school. Not a lot of people of color in art school. They'd constantly be talking about it. And I was like, people are just like, oh, there's not enough people. They're not auditioning enough people of color. I'm like, because we don't know if it's an option. It's not an, it's like inner city places, urban places. It's not put out there as this is an option for your life. <laughs> so depression isn't an option. Yeah. But I, I yeah, wrote this I joke down. It was yeah. uh, black people tend not to get depressed because we know it's the man. <laughs> But that's what it is. It's hard to it's hard to reconcile depression when you feel oppressed. Yeah, you know, so it yeah. can turn into anger and blame as right. opposed to what's wrong with me. Yeah, you know what I mean. Well, yeah, I mean they say that's the difference between men and women as well. That men tend to get angry and women tend to get sad. 
Because women will be blame themselves. Social, right? socially, culturally, women are they're taught to talk about their feelings right. more. Right. And we're taught to stuff them down and, and be pissed off. Walk it off. Yeah. <laughs> walk that shit off. Yeah. It hurts. I know. Walk it off. Yeah. So it's like, um, well, the point being that I've gotten really curious, more curious about, uh, about substances and drug and drugisms. Right. Because me and marijuana, very recent, again, it's only been the last two years. I went through my whole life. No drugs, no drinking. Right. I didn't drink until I was actually 21. Right. I did no underage drinking. Follow the rules. Wow. Well, it's just, it does a lot more. There's <laughs> a lot more to do with it than what I was surrounded by. Right. But like... Grandma. <laughs> grandma. And yes, exactly. So it's like I didn't actually drink until I was 21 because uh, I was afraid of it. My mother is a recovering alcoholic. Yeah. So I wanted to make sure that I had... I knew who I was sure. without alcohol before i tried it same with same with marijuana because i know a lot of people have been smoking weed since they were in fifth grade and they don't know how not to be without it right but a friend of mine a comic made this incredible case for me for why i should start smoking he's much older he's a father he didn't start smoking weed until right before he met his now wife and he was like i knew who i was before i started smoking weed yeah so it's like I've lived a life. I'm an adult. I know what my bills are. I have jobs. I've had jobs, you know? So he's like, so now I know that it helps me relax. It helps me mellow out. It makes me more even. It's not like I don't need it to, to, to feel like I'm, I'm normal. I'm normal without it. It's an addition right. as opposed to an addiction, Yeah. right? So that said, I've gotten more interested in like the ancient drugs, drugs that have existed before mm-hmm. American culture, mm-hmm. that all these different societies have used as a means of therapeutic means rites of passages and stuff like that because i feel like i've gotten to the end of knowing who i am and what i'm capable of from this very lucid place that i'm usually in that's a smart way to go about it really Uh, that that's well thank you that's all i need to say jump out the window take it from the doctor uh (laughs) (laughs) drcr drcr uh no seriously that's you know that that's a very smart way to do it. I I think it's not only with drugs, but also with fame, with money, like anything. If it comes to you after your personality is formed, then it's not going to fuck you up, right? Look, I met Amanda Bynes a couple years ago. She was a sweetheart. Um, people talk about these childs super. Why why are they freaking out? Because they didn't have a childhood. Right. They didn't get to freak out without people in their face. Right. I freaked out. Yeah. If I was famous when I was fifteen, I would be. On the cover shit because I wouldn't I would be losing my fucking mind. Yeah. Yeah. Wolf Barrel, I met him a couple years ago. Did a movie with him, did a little bit part in a movie that got cut out. I was like, "Hey, right, I'm in this movie." People were like, "I didn't see you." I'm like, son <laughs> of a bitch, they cut me out. <laughs> Wolf Barrel was the nicest fucking guy. Yeah, because he's had an entire. He didn't get famous until like his mid thirties. Right. Like when really I mean, movie star in his forties. Right. Yeah. So it's like he's had job. He's had a personality. He's already, he's married. He, he he knows himself. Right. So it's like. Whatever my theory is, whatever age you become famous at is the age you'll be stuck in because that's when people stop calling you and your bullshit. 
Uh, Stop being like, hey, what you did was stupid yeah. and you're an asshole. Well, uh, although if it happens late enough in life that you've got friends you've had for a long time right, and you're right. not going to lose those friends, they'll still call you. They're like, I don't give a fuck who you, who you are or, how, you know, the shit other people put up with. You know, come on. Or you get the friends that are like, oh, you think you're somebody. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Oh, you're, oh, you think you're better than me? <laughs> yeah, right. You're paying for dinner. Well, yeah. Hollywood, <laughs> thank you for grace and being. Beaver Hill. <laughs> Is it Beaver Hill? Beaver River? Uh, Beaver. Beaver. Yeah. It's just Beaver? And, and the funny, well, it's Beaver County. Oh, Beaver, Beaver County, right. Yeah, before we went on, on the air. Are we on the air? I don't think we're on the air if we're recording. Technically. But, yeah, anyway, I grew up in Beaver Falls, and it turns out this guy I was in Vancouver with last summer uh, developing this TV show Pete McCormick is his name. You might have heard oh, uh, yeah, the yeah. podcast with yeah. him. He also grew up in Beaver Falls, oh. British Columbia. There are two Beaver Falls. There's, there's, a, there's a BFBC? Who knew? Yeah. BFBC and BFPA. Oh, BRCR. Yeah. You and P. McC. Yeah. I'm just turning everyone's names into abbreviations. All right. Now, wait a minute. There there were like five things I wanted to say there, and now they're all gone. No, I didn't write them down. I did, and I should take notes. Yeah. I'm talking about drugs. But drugs, oh, oh, yeah, the Amer- there's a beautiful image, an American Indian thing. Uh, it's called the closing of the hoop, and I always think about this. Uh, when a child is born in this tradition, which was common to, I think, mostly the Plains Indians was where I heard about it, the mm-hmm. Lakota, Cheyenne, those people. Okay. Um, the child's born, it's almost like there's a, there's a point, and as the, the child grows, the point grows into like an arc, and it sort of circles around, and at some point, the hoop closes. Hmm. And that's the point where this child becomes an adult. So it's hmm. usually, you know, 13, 14, 15. There's this coming of age ceremony, right? right? Which like, often, a, like a bar mitzvah. A bar mitzvah. Or a bat mitzvah. Yeah. Um, and the, the idea is that until the hoop closes, that person can be really hurt. Because they're open, they're vulnerable. Mm. And then once the hoop closes, at that point, then the circle just sort of grows larger. But it's closed, and the identity is set. And that's why these these societies, most societies, have a coming-of-age ceremony where you have a new name. You, you become a new person. You know, and you're, you're sort of saying it's like being famous. There's is a moment where you're like, boom, that's who you are. I was talking to a guy last night. Uh, I was doing an interview yesterday with a young guy. And we were, you know, he was saying, like, what's it feel like to be a New York Times bestselling author? I was like, dude, it doesn't feel like anything because I don't it doesn't matter. You know, it, it's it, I'm who I was, you know, and and I think there's a point in my life. It probably happened in my 20s, somewhere early 20s, where mm-hmm. I became me. And since then, I've just been getting older, but I'm the same mm-hmm. guy. Right. Okay. Whereas from 15 to 20, you're you're different people. You know, even 16 to 17, you're a different person. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I think there's, uh, yeah, there's something. Well, the rules change. At 18, you're out of high school. All the high school rules no longer apply. Yeah. 22, you're out of college. College rules no longer apply. Yeah, yeah. Although for me, college was a time of no rules. Uh-oh. Yeah. Where'd you go to school for undergrad? Upstate New York and Hobart. College is called uh, Hobart. The Finger Lakes. Yeah. Oh, I know where that is. It's near Cornell, and I might have performed there in Geneva, New York, Lake Trout capital of the world. I might have. I've been to a lot of upstate New York, mm. from Geneseo. Oh yeah. To Fredonia, <laughs> Syracuse, Syracuse, is the big, yeah. Kingston. Oh uh, yeah. All that stuff. But you know that whole area was named by a guy. Like all those towns were named by a guy who was really into ancient Greece. 
That's why you've got Troy and oh, you know all these like yeah. old Greek names Syracuse in upstate New York. Like yeah. Oh, yeah. interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. Um, anyway, one of the things I was going to talk about, another thing that came up with Rogan, you, you were talking about Temple. And I told Rogan about this friend of mine who went to Temple, mm-hmm. grew up in that part of Philly, uh, which, according to him, is like 98% black. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's white. He's Jewish. He's a big, hairy Jewish guy. He's a jazz musician. Uh, you know, is if you're if you're Jewish in a black neighborhood, you better become a jazz. <laughs> what is it? Clarinet? Is it clarinet? No, no, bass. And he's, oh, and he's okay. a huge guy. He's like six six, and he plays upright string bass. Right? Okay, very cool guy. Very, uh, you know, like as far from racist as as you can get. All his friends are black. He grew up. Went to Temple, but he talks like a black guy. Mm. And it creates. I mean, he talks like, "Yo, what's up?" You know, like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. The way your grandmother wouldn't let you talk. Right, right, right. And it can create a weird situation, you know, because of assumptions that he's sort of making fun of someone or whatever. That he's putting something on as right. opposed to he's, he, that was just his culture. Right. And, but I'm thinking of you, you're, you're, if people are listening, they don't know if you're black or what because of the way you're talking, mm-hmm. you, just, you know, and you made the point. And it's like, it's funny well, how people do do that to me. They talk black to you? No, they assume I'm putting something on because oh. I because I don't quote unquote talk black. Seriously? Oh yeah. Now see, I would have thought that would only cut one way. Mm-mm. Like I would never assume you're, you know, whatever. Like well, it's black people. Oh, black people protect. Oh, yeah, oh yeah. black people. Okay, I, I write. I, I got I've you. been I got writing you. a lot about intra racism. That's which yeah, is kind of like right. you know, black people think I am quote unquote acting white. Right, that I am putting something on, some sort of Uncle Tom. That bullshit. I'm that I'm Uncle Tom in it. Yeah. That I'm I'm stepping fetching it. I'm I'm <laughs> I'm doing something to ingratiate myself to the white man. Right, abandoning my history, my culture, my language, and my my style and my rhythm. Right, and that I must be as fake as they come. Right, because of the way that I speak, or the way that I act, yeah. or the things that I'm interested right. in aren't right. black enough, aren't et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's a thing that I've struggled with yeah. for a lot of my life, Yeah, you know, but, uh, and then also that's the other thing is that like, like I said, like a standup is not necessarily quote unquote black standup, right. which not is why I rarely go up at black rooms. Uh, I've done it, right. but the bombing in a black room is much more profound <laughs> because <laughs> really? not, first of all, it's, it's, it's just awful to bomb anytime, yeah, anytime yeah. but there's also always this extra level of and you're also a traitor to your race. <laughs> just kind of like what you're talking about and how you're talking about it. That's not black. Yeah. I dislike your existence. Ow. So it's like, and it does. It is an owl because it's like because I love black people. Right. Because I'm black. That's my family. You right. know what I mean. So it's right. like I want. It's like I'm being rejected by my grandmother. That's how it feels. Right. To me, at least. Yeah, it's complicated stuff. It, it, I mean, obviously, it's a rich vein for comedy because it's so it's so vivid and alive in the culture. But I mean, I was saying, I told, I mentioned this guy to Rogan, and Rogan was like, "Oh, you got what the what are you doing hanging out with an asshole like that? You know, that's what you need—a white guy in your life who talks like a black dude. What an asshole!" And I was thinking later, like, "Well, I know the guy; he's not an asshole, but um, how, you know, nobody calls Mick Jagger an asshole because he sings like a black dude." You know, there's this whole. It's like cool. People called Elvis an asshole because yeah, well, <laughs> my white, grandmother what? hated. Elvis. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. oh, he stole our music. She hated him. Well, you know, there's a point to that. I wouldn't blame it on Elvis so much as the music industry. Well, Mick Jagger, see, and that's a weird thing because I, I would never have probably if I w- if it was way back and I it was like when the Rolling Stones were 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 popping and I hadn't heard them before, I might think 
oh, that's he's maybe he sounds black, but he was aping black. Right. The Beatles were as well. Yeah. But I don't know if I would have said if I would have thought he sounded like a black person. Because yeah. I think of Mick Jagger, I just think he's the only person that sounds like Mick Jagger. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. That I when I think of Mick Jagger's voice, like it's a very specific. Yeah. Thing. I mean, they were doing early, early uh, Rolling Stones is all these like blues classics, you of know, course. that they were. And then later. And the Beatles they, were covering Motown stuff. Yeah, and, you know. Yeah, you're right. Uh, uh, what was it? Help? No, not help. Um, Shake It a Baby. Yeah. Shake It a Baby. Stuff like that. It was just right. kind of like, oh, they were doing these covers. Yeah. Like, oh, this Redding. And, you know. Like- and to your grandmother's point, I mean, it's true. I mean, mm-hmm. the, those guys were uh, the, the original artists were unknown and not making any money until white people came along and started doing their music. Right, right, and right. And then suddenly it was like, oh, the latest thing. It's like, yeah, it's 50 years old. It ain't late. People forget that Satisfaction is an Otis Redding song. Oh, I didn't even know that. Satisfa- Otis Redding. People, but people forget that because yeah. the Rolling Stones made it so goddamn popular. Right. But it's an Otis Redding song. Wow. Or um, Donny Hathaway. I mean, like, there's a lot of these 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 singers. You know, uh, I remember getting into a fight with a choir teacher in <laughs> high school about I shot the sheriff because he had written in a program I shot the sheriff, Eric Ka- Eric, Eric Clapton, Clapton yeah. Bob Marley cover. Oh. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I was like, no. wait. Amen. <laughs> Bob Barley wrote that yeah. song. Eric Clapton covered it. He's like, no, it's clearly like Eric Clapton said. Eric Clapton knows this. Yeah. He didn't he knows he didn't write that song. Of course he did. Yeah. Yeah. Getting into a fight with a choir teacher. That's a line. That's a line. It was a line, yeah. Yeah. I, I went through a period in life where I got into a lot of really heated disputes with yoga teachers. Ooh. You know, I just like one after another. It's like, what's going on with You got all these crazy yoga stories teachers? about yoga? Goga. <laughs> Well, I led a rebellion against a yoga teacher in India, actually. What? Yeah, it involved his wife. and also, Yeah, his name was Shirat. Yeah. Yeah, wow. strange guy. Anyway, listen, you got shit to do. I got shit to do. We've we been talking for like almost two hours. Boom. I could go on for a long time. I'm so what? good to talk to. Yeah, you're great to talk to, man. <laughs> we barely scratched the surface. You have stuff to push? You have like plugs to plug? Uh, hair plugs for Well, men? I don't even know when this bad boy's coming out. When is it? A couple weeks. A couple I mean, weeks. There, there's a pipeline. You know, if, you got, if it's time sensitive, we can bump some Well, no, stuff. I'm just saying, you know, uh, I'm on Twitter. Going to slot you in between Nina Hartley and... And, uh, yeah, I talked to Nina Hartley a couple days ago. Wow. Yeah, and another, uh, Nick Noel, who's a porn uh, director and producer. Oh, okay. Do you want to be between the two of them? Sure. Would that be like a porn fantasy? And porn and comedy. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> wah, wah, no, wah, but wah, if you've got, wah, if you got wah, stuff coming up, we can we Well, can you know, just, uh, I'm, I'm uh, on Twitter, you know, it's, <laughs> I would tell you the Twitter handle, but it's always more complicated than I think it is. It's B-A-R. V O N B L A Q. It's Bar Von Black. Oh. Right? Black with a Q. Yeah, with a Q. Just go to Twitter and enter in Baron Vaughn. <laughs> Type my name in, and then you find the one that's verified. That's me, uh, BaronVaughn.com. You're verified. How do you get to be verified? Well, I was on the TV show. Oh, so what What does that mean? Like, is there a verification panel well, somewhere? Well, actually, the, the USA Network people. They are the ones who talk to the Twitter people. Oh, Twitter does the verification. Twitter does the verification. Oh, okay. right. You can lobby them for verification. I don't know that there's one any one way to do it. It's just proof that 
I, that I'm actually that account. And how did you prove you were you? Well, because the the USC people knew it was me. Oh, you don't have to send it. Because I, I was always, I've always active twi- uh, active on Twitter. Uh-huh. You know, I got a comedian's Twitter, so I'm always writing weird jokes. Like today's today's star, which is uh, my name is Baron, but I go by Boron when I'm in my element. Stupid. Uh- <laughs> Stupid, but boy isn't. See, uh, you know, I I remember in. Um, what was it? Organic chemistry, an mm-hmm. AP organic, organic chemistry class. And the question. Taught by Andrew Weil. No. no oh, that would be oh cool. Andrew Weil, you blew my mind. How does he know I know Andrew Weil? He right, listens right. to the podcast. I listen to the podcast. Plus, I know who Andrew Weil is. That's yeah, another. He's great, Andrew. And talking about drugs. I mean, Andrew Weil's first five books were all about consciousness. And, oh, I'm going to read all of them. Yeah. I haven't read all of them. I've read a couple of them. Yeah. Uh, I read the one he read the he marriage wrote with, of the uh, with Ray Kurzweil. Live long enough to live forever. Yeah, I don't know that one. Oh, I might be completely Kurt, mistaken. Kurzweil's the, Ray Kurzweil, the, the singularity. Singularity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Love that shit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I got bad news for Ray Kurzweil. Uh-oh. He ain't going to live forever, but that's another story. Uh, what the hell am I talking about? Oh, the, oh, the boron joke. Yeah, yeah the boron joke. Yeah, Organic. The, the question on the test was, what, what, what was the... Um, what were the two radioactive elements that Marie Curie discovered? And mm-hmm. I wrote uranium and rayon, not radium. Rayon. So that was my nickname in high school. Was rayon. Because the teacher thought it was so funny. He Chris read it rayon. to the class. <laughs> to the class. Yeah, right. He know, was crass while he read it to the class. <laughs> he, he read it. It was a crass class. Really? He's yeah. like, everybody. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Guys, stop what you're doing. <laughs> That's right. Chris got this so wrong, but hilariously wrong. Listen to this. <laughs> It was like, oh, Chris Rayon. That's I'm going to start was. calling you that, That's Chris Rayon. It was, Rayon. Yeah, people still call me Rayon. Like, I don't know a lot of people from high school, but those I do, they call me Rayon. Rayon, Radon, oh, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, and then uh, I just, I got a lot of stuff coming up. I'm going to, I'm going to Portland to do the Bridgetown Comedy Festival, which is great. Duncan might be there. When's actually. that? Uh, that is coming up. Let me see what the dates are, girl. That's April 18th through 21st. It's coming up soon. And then I'm going to the Moon Tower Comedy Festival in Austin, Texas. Oh. April 24th through 27th. Sweet. Yeah. I mean, all this stuff will be up on, it'll be up on Twitter. I have a half hour Comedy Central special. June 21st. That's what we want to push. Yes. June 21st, half hour, Comedy, Comedy Central. Central. Special. All you. All me. Comedy 30 Central. 30 minutes of Baron Vaughn. Baron Vaughn. Coming at you. I'm going to tell jokey comedy. <laughs> You're going to have boron jokes in there? So many boron jokes. A lot of chemistry know. jokes. Yeah. I got like a like a 10 minutes on Rayon. Yeah. <laughs> New material. Yeah. All right. All right. Thanks for doing this, man. This is really fun. Indeed. All right. Baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel Say what you want to say You're going to die one day For example, I could kiss you Just because I want to What's the difference if you turn away? I'm going to die one day Why do you waste your time? Think about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you ever know Said it for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day 
music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up or give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Thinking about an obligation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.